Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And that's why you see many of the Red Tops talking about uh, bracing yourself for Barra as the gales. They're even talking about some snow. Uh, it could be damaging uh, this, uh, you know, uh, this storm tomorrow. So you want to take precautions in that regard. And the echo this morning is saying that roads and parking areas along the low-lying keys in Cork City Centre might suffer uh, localised flooding uh, tomorrow because of a high tide. And I'm quite sure uh, that, uh, you know, City Council will be taking uh, all sorts of precautions in that regard. You know, places like Morrison's Key and Father Matthew Key, Trinity Bridge, Union Key, areas like that. And the Echo deals with that uh, this morning in the paper. But uh, um, many of the newspapers this morning, a lot of division going on. And I know that last week, I wasn't here last week, but I know that there was a, a lot of jibber-jabber going on about uh, the jabbed and the unjabbed, if you like, with Michal Martin then last night slamming the unvaccinated for uh, putting the HSE and the people of Ireland at risk. He says it's as plain as the nose in your face. I think the words he used is, it's as clear as daylight uh, that you're taking real risks if you don't get vaccinated. Um, but at the same time, thousands of people uh, every week are coming forward and being vaccinated for the first and indeed the second job. But that's, this isn't my opinion, incidentally. This is what the newspapers are saying that probably makes the front of this morning sun. At the same time then, uh, the Tarnishta Leah Varadkar apparently some stage last week was saying that he found it, I think the term he used was peculiar um, about added restrictions and um, in, in fairness to the guy, I mean you've got to be able to ask questions like this he was saying things along the line of, and it's picked up in the examiner this morning, where he said that uh, the restrictions were peculiar uh, in the sense that uh, the situation was that uh, we were tightening restrictions when the situation was improving in terms of numbers in hospitals and numbers in ICU. And we were outperforming performing even the most optimistic models because we got three different models, of course, the optimistic, the average and the grave. And we're doing much better than even the optimistic. So I think he's entitled to, to say all of that. And then many of the papers this morning talk about schools. Last week, they were being all told to, told to mask up. I see in the papers this morning then, and indeed I read something online as well, that they're rowing back on that, saying they're going to take a much softer approach uh, with principals being urged to be sensitive if parents or indeed primary school students turn up the, from, you know, maybe tomorrow or, or Wednesday without a mask. Um, but they do talk in detail of COVID and God only knows when we'll stop being dominated on the front page of newspapers and the radio and television coverage uh, of COVID-19. Uh, Omicron, I know it's early to, little bit, maybe a little bit early to say, but the early indications of Omicron is that it's not severe uh, and that it's not going to be uh, the, uh, you know, uh, real killer virus that uh, or at least strain of the virus that people had been suspecting uh, and nowhere near like Delta. I know it's early days on it but at least the Mail are saying early data on Omicron shows that it isn't really severe. So the amount of worry and fear put into people's heads these days I, I don't know. I just I, I wonder. One third of COVID tests now they say have been you know taken by children under 14 and I mean let's not dwell on that. I mean okay. 18 months ago they were saying the children weren't a, a worry when it came to uh, the virus. They at one stage, they were saying they couldn't get it and couldn't spread it. But I suppose you learn with time. But in the real world, then, of course, one of the big items, of course, is what's going to happen now with regards to entertainment this week. And what's going to happen with pantos? Seemingly, the everyman are okay. Um, they're saying that, um, you know, hang in there. They, they won't have issues with uh, uh, either cancelling panto tickets, according to the everyman. But the opera house are in a different situation. Oh, in English, in the exam. 
Cameron this morning says the team behind one of Ireland's largest pantos is appealing for patience because they need to figure out, you know, how many they can get into the theatre now. Because I say a lot of the shows were, were actually sold out. So it means that not everybody will be able to go. So they're asking people to hang in there. They'll be in touch. So uh, different stories and different pantos, both the Everyman and uh, the Opera House. Papers also today talk of uh, the amount of people who have been done for drug driving. I know I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, uh, where they were saying that uh, we were no- that they were noticing now that more people were being done for drug driving than were being done for drink driving these days, and that continues to increase, particularly people testing positive for cocaine. But I heard this morning that the British government are considering. That anybody that's caught, uh, you know, whether it's behind the wheel of a car or whatever, you're in possession uh, of, of um, you know, banned substances would lose their driving license uh, and would lose, possibly lose their passport. So they're really ramping up. But in the times that we live in, this story in the mirror this morning caught my attention. Uh, you know, what, what do people want in their lives more than they have ever had before? Apparently, one word. Kindness. It's the top priority for 90% of the population. This was a survey of respondents who agreed that we need to be nicer to each other uh, and we need to get more positive vibes out there and more general acts of kindness. That's why I love on the air when I hear of acts of kindness and we share those stories and there's a week goes by that we don't get them. It's so important, not just for the person to whom the act of, act of kindness is given or the person giving it, but to everybody else who hears of them because... It does sink into your brain and it gives you a good feeling and you can carry that feeling when you hear acts of kindness across the day and maybe even encourage you to be kinder yourself. Bear that in mind. Lines are open at one 106 But everything else that's happening, though, today is the 6th of December and it really and truly is Christmas time and the countdown continues. So at this stage of the game, I'm upping the quota of Christmas songs on air. And Merry Christmas, everybody. This is, this is a survey out this morning. It's a full list of Christmas's most dangerous driving songs. And they list them. I don't believe that the Slade gets in there. I have no idea why not, because it is a pumping tune. You might be tend to, might tend to hit the old accelerator a bit more. Or the hands might be going behind the wheel. But they bring out the top ten most dangerous Christmas songs to drive to. Frosty the Snowman is in there. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is in there. Santa Claus is coming to town be the Jackson 5 happy Christmas war is over why like I suppose you wouldn't speed to that but you might tend to kind of sway a bit more in the driving seat others then include wizard I wish it would be Christmas every day Uh, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus is in there even the Pogues fairy tale of New York make it I suppose the ones that you might sing along to might be the big risky ones wouldn't you think there's a lot more than that whams last Christmas because you tend to get carried away with those kind of songs behind the wheel of a car. It's amazing the types of research that they do these days. Anyway, lines are open at one 106 You can text 086-8104-106. And thanks to uh, Mick Mulcahy and the gang uh, for keeping it safe and keeping it live and keeping it real last week. But, you know, talking about keeping things real, um, you know, the world that we live in, it's amazing when you go away and you get an opportunity to see how others actually live their lives and get on with things in the life and times that we're living in. Now, I was in New York last week uh, when uh, the government uh, decided to impose uh, the PCR and the antigen tests for all people coming into Ireland. Now, no problem with that. I came home early 
The reason I came home early was because I, you know, I couldn't 100% be sure that I'd passed the test and then I'd be stuck there for a fortnight and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be back on the air and things. So that wasn't an issue. I mean, but it was interesting to be overseas at a time when a big change came into place. Now, for people back home, you probably didn't notice it very much. But for those that were overseas, we did notice. And what bothered me uh, was uh, how people were left confused and were left panicked by it all. I'm sure that... That was the case all over the world where Irish people had traveled to at that stage. And like, for instance, I met, I met two women in their 70s uh, before the announcement was made about, you know, having to pass a test to come home. They didn't even have a mobile phone with them. When I was chatting with them, they said to me, you couldn't turn your phone on in America, boy. It would cost you more than a flight home. You know, so they didn't even have phone. I don't know whether they ever got the information or not. I was worried the next day when the announcement was made. Uh, if they even knew about the change, you know, but I, I couldn't help but think like what plan was made for Irish people who failed the test overseas, right? Or were refused admission into Ireland. I mean, were they supposed to book into a hotel for two weeks? What would happen if they, you know, say rocked up to the Irish embassy looking for help? What if they didn't have money? Uh, I know three people at the weekend who were refused boarding to London. I mean, wh- what did they do? Where where did they go? Or those that maybe the same thing happened to further afield, like we've been asked to take uh, personal responsibility and yet we're being treated a lot of the time like children. Like I have an 87-year-old father who, uh, you know, so the first thing that I did when I came home is I took a test so that I wouldn't put him in danger. That's the kind of thing you'd be expected to do and you would do, isn't it? Of course you would if you had a bit of cop on in your head at all. I know you'll say that that's the way it is and, you know, that's the risk you take if you go overseas and fair enough. But what seriously bothered me uh And I was bothered by the fact that last week, for the first time that I ever, ever heard in my life, Irish people were being prevented from entering their own country because they might be sick. Prevented from entering their own country because they might be sick. Um, I don't even know if that's even constitutional, to be honest. Uh, Could people not have been tested at home at the airport, gone into quarantine themselves then, for being asked to behave responsibly? Incidentally, I can tell you that in New York... <clears throat> nobody is talking about COVID. Um, nothing like we do. It doesn't appear on the front of newspapers. It's not on radio and television, except the odd story that you might hear here and there. But other than that, nothing. There's no alarm, no fear, no worry. They just use their passes. They use their masks. And they 100% just get on with their life. I mean, it's extraordinary, the difference. Here then, there's a complete preoccupation with COVID. And as a consequence... Fear and worry, and it dominates the news constantly, especially on RTE, which has just gone completely and utterly nuts on COVID the last 18 or 20 months. We really need to get on with our lives, and we need to do the simple things. And we need to stop incessantly talking about it. And all of these Neffet spokespeople and all of the medics, they all need to stop tweeting and Facebooking and giving media interviews. And they need to let the public to get their lives back. Seriously, it's a virus. It can be dangerous to some, it can, but it'll always be with us. Uh, And we'll just have to learn to live with it. And we'll have to learn to live with it like we learn to live with other viruses and science will take care of it. But we must just get on with living our lives. I mean, it's insane now. We are living in chaos with too many people talking at the one time. And we have too many people in charge and we don't seem to have any leadership. Like when I was in the States, I saw Biden on television at one stage talking about this new virus, the new variant, right? And he was saying, he said, the science wasn't available yet to say what sort of a threat it would pose. But he said, Delta was dangerous. And that challenge was met. 
and that they would meet the next challenge as well. And that, incidentally, was not at the start of the news bulletin at all. But I, I couldn't help but think, well, that's the kind of message people really want, isn't it? We'll deal with it. People are sick and tired of all of these knee-jerk reactions and too many voices coming at us from various sources. Um, as a friend of mine said to me at the weekend, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't have got these, we wouldn't get as many updates if we were at war. Like we wouldn't get as many bulletins or updates or announcements if we were at war with another country. So that's the deal. It's, it's, uh, it's time for real leadership. And of course, to stay safe and stay positive and mind your overall health. Uh, too many other health conditions are being put on the back burner physically and mentally. We will now very shortly pass the 100, 1 million, 1 million citizens of Ireland will be on a hospital waiting list by the end of this year. A million. That's one in five. And 100,000 of them will be children. And nine people are being added to hospital waiting lists in this country every single hour. Every single hour. So by the end of December, um, that hospital waiting list for all sorts of different conditions will pass one million. And they say that it could take 14 years to get hospital waiting lists under control. I just think, if you go away for a few days at all and you come back again, you just notice that you're back in the middle of it all. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's being bombarded with it. And all it causes is fear and anxiety. They're just my thoughts. You're as welcome. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And you can pick up the phone on 1850 104 106. Two uh, stories on Lee side, and there has been uh, an update into the Garda investigation into the death of Frankie Dunn, 64 year old Frankie Dunn, native of Churchfield on the north side of Cork City. You might recall when the news broke uh, in December of last year, uh, his body was found in the grounds of Casa Grena House on the Boring Manor Road. Um, and the Garda, of course, uh, started an intensive Garda investigation that at one stage actually took them overseas to Romania. Uh, Barry Roach, uh, Southern correspondent for the Irish Times, joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you Thank doing? you for holding. I do appreciate it. Before we deal with the, the up-to-date news, can we just recap as to what we know of, of Frankie Donna, what happened to the misfortune nearly two years ago? Yeah, back in December uh, 2019, uh, Frankie Dunn was originally from Churchfield, um, a 64-year-old man, a father of a number of adult children. Uh, just checking here now, the two, three, uh, I think three adult children uh, and a number of siblings. And he had been engaged with homeless services in Cork for a number of years. And since July of that year, 2019, he had been living at, Cork Simon Clan Morning House on the Boring Manor Road, mm-hmm. uh, back heading towards um, back up towards Victoria, uh, Wallace's Avenue, that side there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd been staying there. I think he'd spent Christmas and the day after Christmas uh, with family members. But he was staying at Clan Morning House. And the last sight of the Gardaí were able to establish. Last sight of him alive, the Gardaí were able to establish was of CC was from CCTV footage of him leaving Clan Morning House on the Boring Man Road at about 7pm on the 27th. That was the Friday. Mm. And then Gardy got a call on the Saturday afternoon from a man who had been looking for his cat that had gone missing. Mm. He'd gone into the grounds of Castle House further down the Boring Man Road near the link and he had made the grim discovery where he found the body of a dismembered uh, remains of a, of, a, of a man and obviously it took some time for Gardy to identify him for 
normally I think they had to use fingerprints and it turned out to be poor Frankie Dunn. You did say dismembered if people had dismembered, found Dismembered, yeah. yeah. So um, it turned out to be Frankie and uh, Gary post-mortem confirmed he had died a violent death. That was done by Dr. Heidi Ockers. Uh, she was the acting, mm. uh, one of the acting pathologists and Gardy under uh, Detective Superintendent Michael Commons launched a murder investigation then um, by the end of December before the end of the year as it were and then in January 2020 a group of four Gardy including a Romanian member of the force obviously he spoke Romanian they went to Romania to interview a suspect. And what, can you tell us why they did that? Was there talk at the time that somebody had fled to Romania or, or what? Well, they followed up on a, on a line of inquiry that they had and they went to Romania. They didn't divulge much about it at the time, but obviously, um, I don't think they had powers of arrest, but I think the person they arrested, uh, the person they spoke to would have been arrested by, um, or would have come into Romanian police. I presume technically the Romanian police would have done the questioning on foot of the questions being relayed to them by the guard who were present at the time. Mm. Uh, they would have come back from Romania then in January 2020 and that would have, the, whatever they established in Romania would have formed part of the Garda file that they then sent to the DBP. Uh, obviously the um, investigation was ongoing under Detective Superintendent Commons and uh, Detective Inspector uh, Vincent O'Sullivan, no, no Superintendent O'Sullivan. Mm. Uh, and then on Friday we heard that there was somebody being appearing before a special sitting that night uh, and uh, at about 7 o'clock uh, my understanding is that this person was arrested. Uh, Gary, sorry, the, the process then would have been, Gary would have sent the file to DPP. The DPP would have directed that somebody be charged. Gary would have then gone to the district court in Cork and got a warrant, an ordinary warrant for their arrest. They then would have had to go to the high court and present that to the high court, get a European arrest warrant, yeah. contact um, Romanian police, circulate that. Romanian police would then have arrested the suspect, brought them, and uh, Gary would have gone to Bucharest, but they wouldn't have any powers of arrest there. So Romanian police would have put the person on the flight, accompanied by the Gardaí. There is a direct flight from Courtesy Ryanair uh, from uh, Bucharest, Dublin. Arrived in at Dublin about four o'clock. As soon as they hit the ground there, tires on the tarmac, as it were. He was arrested. Then, then had the powers of arrest yeah. and arrested him. And we heard, then from that point on, we heard what happened at the special sitting. Uh, it's a chap called... Uh, Ayunus Cosman Nicolescu, he's 28, and he's from a place called Branista Village in Branista Commune in Damovita County in Romania. He was brought before the special sitting of Cork District Court on Friday night, um, and he was charged that on a date unknown between the 27th of December 2019 and the 28th, he murdered Francis Dunn, a Castlevania Houseboarding Manor Road. Contra common law. Detective Gara Alan McCarthy, he gave evidence arresting him at Dublin Airport and then later charging him with the murder of Mr. Dunn and he told the court that Mr. Nicolescu replied, I didn't do that. Didn't do the charge spoke to him after caution. The guardian, Inspector Ray Dunn, applied for a man in custody and he said the DPP had directed trial by indictment at the Central Criminal Court, that's standard, and that the DPP had also consented that if you were to go forward and assign plea to the Central Criminal Court, he could do that as well. Defence barrister, Elaine Audley, she applied for free legal aid in the name of uh, Solicitor Shane Collins-Daly, and she also asked Judge Keller to direct that the court prison authorities provide Mr. Nicolescu with any appropriate medical attention. That so he was he, he was moved to Cork then? He, he was before he, Judge Keller, I think, wasn't he? Judge, Judge Keller on, on Friday evening yeah. at 7 o'clock, it was over. Because you can't apply for bail at the 
on a murder charge there's no there's no application okay. for bail and there's no objection to bail so they're generally pretty quick so it was all over and done within five minutes Judge Keller uh, agreed that he'd direct the prison authorities to provide whatever medical uh, treatment or assistance or attention was needed and he also then remanded him in custody to appear at Cork District Court on Thursday this Thursday by video link so as I say it was all done in, within five minutes or so yeah, wasn't there, back in the summer, was there not somebody um, arrested for ass- allegedly assisting a suspect to flee the country? Yeah, there was a, a man in his 50s arrested and uh, a file has been sent to DPP in res- respect to that. Uh, he was arrested in July. Uh, what was the talk July, at the time? Ju- that, uh, that it's July 20, a, I'd say. Yeah, the allegation that he helped somebody to first go to Belfast, then Edinburgh, and then catch a flight to Bucharest. Was that the idea? That would be the gist of it, I think, but um, given obviously there's somebody before the courts and we're probably okay. curtailed in yeah. what we can, we can say, and obviously the, you know, the whole presumption of innocence still applies. Oh, there are allegations, yeah. It's yeah, just that that was, that was the precedent during the summer. Yeah, that was July, you know, with 2020, Neil, um, it, yeah, it was 2020, but you know, last year seems to be... You know, Sorry, yeah. last year, I know. Last year kind yeah. of morphs into this year, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's since the time with COVID is, well, my sense of time with COVID is sort of a... Thrown a bit is it, is it this year? Is it last year? And we're almost out of twenty twenty one. No, but uh, it's like last year was a I don't know a strange year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, out of respect to Frankie Don, he he was described as as homeless, but actually he wasn't homeless. Sure, he wasn't. I mean, he lived with Simon. He was still in touch and very much part of his family. He would come and go all of the time, and he was much loved. Absolutely, yeah. It seems to be a very gentle sort of soul. I, I just remember talking at the time to Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners, and she said to me that she remembered him as a gentle, inoffensive man who never caused harm to anyone. And Simon as well similarly said that uh, um, he shared the, the house with people in Bury Man Road. And uh, that's the picture that very much emerged of him was that he was a harmless, inoffensive yeah. man, you know. Yeah. And um, obviously, a horrible, horrible. Uh, fate befell him and uh, must be terribly distressing for his family and uh, some of them were in court last Friday night now I, I, I would think maybe some of his daughters were there so you know there's some progress being made in terms of uh, yeah. requests for justice so that's that's good but um, I still it's a horrible horrible oh it's a gruesome death absolutely okay well let's see what happens before the courts later on in the week oh can I just ask you if you go because I know we spoke in the past uh, about um, the former council worker who Release those two live rats into the council offices in Kinsale. Was that before the courts again? Yeah, and I, I must extend my gratitude to Southern Star because it's from them that I learned about this. Um, John O'Neill, we spoke about him in October. He had been he pleaded guilty at Bandon District Court causing criminal damage by releasing two rats into the offices of Cork County Council in Kinsale. He had a grievance with a member of management there and Judge McNulty at the time described it as a, an offensive unique wickedness that was premeditated and carefully planned and uh, we heard he was unlikely to reoffend. It was the first offence but he said it merited a custodial sentence and he gave him six months in jail uh, John O'Neill had paid compensation but he appealed to the circuit court uh, last week and Judge James McCourt in the circuit court uh, he described what he had done as abominable and appalling but he said he must take into account that he had no previous convictions that he had confessed and cooperated with Gary and paid 3000 in compensation and he said taking all those factors into account he suspended the six month sentence handed down to the district court so he's uh, John O'Neill isn't going to jail he appealed one court's decision to higher court, which you're allowed to which do. Are allowed to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So he 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 paid the three thousand in compensation, 
um, made a full frank admission when arrested. And on the yes. basis of that, the judge said a suspended sentence he, uh, would judge suffice. The court felt uh, a suspended sentence was appropriate, so he suspended the six-month term nice one listen thanks for the update on that appreciate it as always Barry Rhodes Southern Correspondent of the Irish Times text 0868104106 just very quickly as I mentioned there earlier on in the weather forecast of what you should be expecting to hit uh, tomorrow Storm Barra uh, prompted a call from Eddie English from Sale Cork he'd be right across the weather particularly down here in the southern parts of the country Eddie good morning Good morning, Neil. How are you? How bad's it going to be? Where is it right now? Somewhere off the Atlantic, is it? It's out in the middle of the Atlantic, but it's barreling down towards us, and it's. You're breaking up there. Are you on the water? Are you on the on the land? Or where I know, I, I'm. I'm ashore. I'm okay. ashore. But um, it's going to come at us overnight tonight, and early tomorrow morning is going to be the worst of it in the Cork area, uh, when we'll have southerly gales and very strong gales. And it'll pipe up the storm force at a later stage. What kind of winds are you expecting? Um, the southerly winds will be gale force to strong gale force. You still there, Eddie? No. Seven in the morning, tomorrow morning. Sorry, I missed you there. I was just looking at it this morning. Yeah. They were talking about between 65 and 70 miles an hour. Would that be around about 100 kilometres, is it? It'll be up to 120 kilometres an hour, um, Neil. Okay. Um, and are the tides an issue as well? I mean, what will the rainfall be like? Yeah, there's a lot of rainfall and the tides are an issue tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock is high water. Because the majority of the rain is overnight tonight, I believe, isn't it? It, it is indeed, yes. Yeah. So there'll be a lot of rain, a lot of fresh in the river and hopefully the man in the dam doesn't press his finger on the button <laughs> and, and wash us all away. So precautions will have to be taken and probably will be taken in the city for flooding in low-lying areas, right? Yeah, I don't think it'll be as bad as normal for, for Cork because it's it's southerly in direction for a while. It's not southeasterly, which is the bad one. Okay, coming and going, unfortunately, which isn't great. You still there, Eddie? Yeah, it should change direction um, around 7 in the morning and it'll ease off for Cork then. Yeah, but the wind won't ease off, though. Not at all no, tomorrow. No, it won't. No, but the direction will change and that saves Cork from flooding. Okay. And certainly there is no problem with the high tide tomorrow evening. And also, Wednesday's a bit of a bad one too, isn't it? I know there'll be brighter, sunnier spells and probably drier, but still the wind will dominate, won't it? Yeah, it's going to be blowing full-on gale force from the northwest on Wednesday. Okay. So what what sort of precautions should the public be taking over the next couple of days? Well, just be careful when, when they're out. It's, it's, it's tomorrow morning early, and it's tomorrow morning is the worst time. They've got to watch it. Um... And it's it's the south coast gets hammered because it's a southerly, it's an onshore breeze. And then for Wednesday, it's the northwester. And I think people know their own area. Direction affects them worse. So it's a, it's a northwester for Wednesday. All right, my man. Well, forewarned is forearmed. And people are on notice to expect it for the next couple of days. Uh, particularly, I suppose, in coastal areas. They'll get a right hammering, won't they? Absolutely, and the West Coast is going to get hammered far worse than us because the breeze goes into the West and the Norwest uh, on Tuesday and for all of Wednesday. So would that be so a violent storm force 11 then? It will be gusting up to violent 
Crikey. A lot of wind and up to 30 kilometres an hour. Okay, I leave it at that, Eddie, because the line keeps coming and going, but we got through it and appreciate you taking the call. Take care of yourself. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Mick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How's it going? Thanks for holding. What's on your mind? Well, what I was going to suggest to you this morning is that we perhaps at this stage we're, we're exhausted from COVID, Neil. Oh, sure. We're all past week and everybody has had it everywhere and anywhere. And uh, recently I was looking at a thing on RTE there. There was a, an outside broadcast unit there and one of their reporters was doing a piece to camera. And these two guys came up behind it, which was wrong in actual fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, showing yeah. RTE is the virus. RTE is the virus. No, Neil. The message there was this, is that people are sick to the death of RTE coming morning, noon and night with this thing. We've had it. Yeah, it causes a lot of fear and anxiety. There are mental issues out there. There's fear. Elderly people in isolation are absolutely terrorized. There's a hole in Christmas. The vaccine was meant to be the panacea, and now they're bringing a variant after variant. There's a serious lack of communication around every tree in every college and in every hospital. We have experts. We have children drawn into the equation now, and they are absolutely terrorized. Mm-hmm. And we have Varadkar yesterday issuing a slight statement to Dr. Tony Hogan by saying, you know, we can't twist and turn as a nation on every whim and every fear that's going to come or thought. And how's it, what are your thoughts on that? There is talk now that anybody within Neffet will have to ask for permission before they do any media whatsoever. Well, I think the whole problem there at the end of the day was communication. And it was like this. There was a situation d- developed in this country where you had three people involved. You had the Finnegale people under right, you're running one way. You had Michal Martin in government, in government, but he was running in a different direction because they were not communicating. Red, uh, Neffet saw that there was a hole in that situation themselves and they decided that they'd become the experts and they would tell the people directly what the situation mm, was. Mm. But this was politically created by Michal Martin on one side and Varadkar on the other. Well, it's just about so many different people putting their tuppence worth in, you see. Um, everywhere you turn, you've got an expert here, an EFID member there, you've got a clinician or you have a medic talking on different radio stations. And I just think it feeds into fear. Completely, 100%. Just, and allied to that, in fact, you see, is that there are so many people in society today and people don't realise. I sat down with a couple of lads there up in Man Point and I, I had a discussion with one or two more fellas last night down in McCroom and everybody was of the same opinion that we are tired as a nation of all these experts. One communication a day is more than adequate and sufficient. We wouldn't get this, fellas said to me the weekend, we wouldn't get this amount of updates and communications if we were actually at war. No, we would not. Daily briefings. Daily briefings. All the time. Down, down, down. So, when I heard this morning in actual fact that you were going to move, an email confirmed from me there in the background, that the Christmas team is going to come into Red FM. No, just me personally, myself, I would love to be talking about it less. I would love to be getting on with more aspects of our lives dealing with it, of course, responsibly, as we're being asked to do, but to just move on from the constant fixation of it. Now, if Correct. people disagree with me and wish to continue to talk of matters like this, I'm okay with that as well. But that's just my tuppence worth. And it was only because I was away, I realized, oh, my God, there's nobody yeah. talking about it. Nobody. That's right. It's that's just, right. They're just getting on with their lives. 
but we seem to be completely obsessed. We tear a story to death here. Even the media here, they get a story about a Corbyn court and they keep it up over and over and they'll analyse the amount of stitches that were in the court and who bought the court, who owned the court, who the court, where the court was made and the value of the court. And it goes on and goes on and goes on. Yeah. Now, yeah. Christmas is a beautiful time for old stories, the selling of turkeys, right? Christmas trees, holly and ivy, where and who had the greatest Christmas shops in town? Yeah. Talk about the cold care. Yeah. How many old shops were there? Yeah. You know, where was the best Santa in town? The feel-good factor. The magical Woolworths. And, and, when people had nothing and there were no credit unions there, where did they get the money to buy all the toys? Mm. They saved, didn't they? They put the few bob away and managed, didn't they? They, 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 and they got there over the magic line all the time. But mind but you, you were talking at a time when a child got one toy. Correct. Guns and holsters, a yeah. doll, yeah. individual things. And the Christmas stocking was filled with things like, uh, we say, for example, uh, oranges and apples and bananas and, you know, things like that. It's just that it, it just, there's so much pressure on families now. I mean, I don't mean to be off topic now, but with all of the advertising and marketing and the things that they now need to provide for their children, um, and one is never enough anymore now, you know? Somebody looking out now for a, a new phone could be a grand for a child. And PlayStation exactly. 5 could be 500 bucks for a child, you know? That's right, and then they're in competition with the child next door who has it. And on it goes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it is Christmas time. We need to bear that in mind, and we need to try and sure. accentuate the positive if at all possible. And we fly that. We, we fly the red flag of Santa Claus, and always best we can. Said, <laughs> thanks for that, pal. Cheers. <laughs> Take care. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I had this letter um, awaiting me when I returned. I've never written uh, a letter to a radio station or newspaper in my life, but it's never too late to start something new. I'm seventy three years old. I bet that sounds really old to many of your listeners, but it seems like only yesterday that I did my leaving cert, started work, met my husband, had children and grandchildren. I have followed you from radio station to radio station from your days in ERI. Uh, that's a long time ago. How this city and country has changed th- th- during those years, I'm sure you'd agree. My parents were steeped in politics. Fine Gael. My mother and father wouldn't vote any other way. I used to think I was so independent because I started voting between Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and independence. I may even have voted progressive Democrats once upon a time. But fast forward to 2021, I realize now that the politicians of my traditions are completely outdated. They no longer serve this country or its people. I have a son living in Dublin who cannot afford a home. There even He can't afford a home there, even though he's 35 years old and has a well-paid job. The older ones are all living in Cork and thankfully have a roof over their own heads. It's my grandchildren that I really fear for. I have four grandchildren in college. One has just started working and I have five more in secondary school grandchildren. What sort of future lies ahead for them? I'm very close to all my grandchildren, but particularly my eldest, as I helped to rear him. He's an angry young man and he's every right to be. He says, and rightly so, that Ireland is not a republic because there is no equality between the rich and the poor. The rich can afford homes. The poor cannot. The rich can afford medical care. The poor cannot. The rich can afford education. The poor cannot. The rich can afford to eat properly and live with dignity. And the the poor cannot, he says. I asked my grandson what I can do to help. And he told me to open my eyes. 
So I did, and I have researched the alternatives. After doing so, I have decided on voting Sinn Féin, and Sinn Féin only, in the next general election. It's strange, because for such a long time, Sinn Féin were dirty words in my life. And now, with an open heart and an open mind, I'm going to vote for them. The future belongs to the next generation, and I'm going to give them a chance for a fresh new Ireland. An Ireland that represents the people, not just the rich people. My husband's annoyed with me. He believes Sinn Féin will take all our money and will run all international businesses out of the country. He thinks Sinn Féin will drive us back into the dark ages, you see. I don't. Sinn Féin are smart. They've already dropped their opposition to the special criminal courts. They're not going to make this country penniless, make themselves the shortest-lived party in the history of the state. They will compromise to survive. So now my grandson is proud of me, and my husband is annoyed with me. My grandson wants me to join Sinn Féin with him, while my husband wants me to see sense. I will vote for Sinn Féin, but I won't join the party. Not just yet, anyway. I will loan them my vote for their first term. And if they respect it, I will join them before the second election. That's the promise I have made to my grandson and his generation. The compromise I made to my husband is that I won't go public on my decision, at least not yet. He's associated with Fine Gael families in this city. And when I told him I was going to call your radio show, he begged me not to go on air. He's embarrassed and frightened by my decision to vote for Sinn Féin. I'm asking and hoping that Sinn Féin won't let me down. I do have the courage of my convictions, but in respect to my husband, I'm asking you not to call out my name. It's a strange one, having to hide who you'll vote for, but that's the compromise for you. Please don't give out my details. Feel free to proceed and read it out if you so wish. And that by handwritten letter to Neil. And you can do that, actually, if you want to drop a line. Neil, Red FM, Curraheen, Cork. Nice and short and to the point. Lines open, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Your thoughts are welcome on that and lots more besides. Keith, good morning. Good morning, how's it going? I'm good. Um, we just want to pick up on, did you have a fire? We did, we had a fire there was the week before last and I was just saying, you know, this is the time of year now that everybody's going to be plugging in their old lights and, you know, loading up these gangways that they're plugging in. Ah, uh, yeah, double adapters like and triple adapters and yeah. triple adapters on top yeah. of um, extension yeah. boards and all sorts of things, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's like you might see the ad and stuff there and tell you, and you mightn't pay any attention to it, into it. But like when when something goes in front of your eyes here, you know, you what happened? Um, the hay barn kind of went up here the week before last. Yeah, just uh, I was up in it like ten, ten, fifteen minutes beforehand. Went down for dinner, and then we heard an explosion and went and looked outside and it burst into flames. Good God! Was that electrical? We were, was it? Yeah, that's what the fire brigade said. We were really lucky. We're, we're close to Bantry. We're out the Sheep's Head Way and the, the fire brigade were out. We've got a tiny little track so that they can't even get up the track here. So they had to they had to pipe the water up the track and then it took so long to put it out that they even had to dam the little stream down by the road and they were sucking water out of the stream to refill the tank. And were they, ever, they managed to get it under control, but I suppose was it too late at that stage? Oh, Jesus, the big pile of ash now. Like, we were just lucky. The house is okay, and, you know, we were able to go back into our beds and stuff like that. And were they able to identify the seed of the fire, how it started? It's it's the last building that just hadn't had the electrics done, and I had been doing work up there, kind of around it, you know, and then 
there, the end of the hay barn is kind of like a storage area and that was full of recycling, you know, the way you'd be filling up the the, car, the big cardboard boxes, the big cardboard boxes, oh, the big yeah. cardboard boxes, yeah. and sure, everything added to everything else then. And, was it, um, it wasn't, it was it bad wiring, an overloaded plug board? Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly, yeah. So like, uh, you know, I'd been running extension leads, there was, you know, like I said, there was the gangways with the big heavy things plugged into it. You know, there was extra lights on because it's this time of the year. So, you know, overloaded. And it could happen in a family home, and God knows yeah. it has happened. But isn't it a wonder that it, it didn't trip? Oh, yeah. Like it tripped, well, lucky it tripped the rest. It tripped my outside fuse board and tripped that. And and then what, I suppose, you see, that, that old wiring, I think that actually, like, you know, I suppose the new wiring wouldn't burst into flames or anything or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But like the old wiring, you know, I, I suppose it's just not as as good as it was or whatever, God you know. And then you've got all, yeah, yeah. It was the barn, but it could equally be somebody's home. Words of warning: don't yeah. overload. Make sure that you're electrically yeah. safe and sound. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, your extension needs. You know, when you run those things over near the tree, or when you're thinking about those lights, you know, that you might have had for the last ten years that you put on the tree every year. You know, just all those little things because it's just so simple. Like it was ten minutes. It was, it was, it was that crazy. I was halfway through my second baked potato. <laughs> the barn was gone. You know. <laughs> Listen. Thanks for the tip. Thanks for the words of yeah. warning. Stay safe, yeah. Keith. Cheers. Yeah. Take care. Sure. Watch out for that storm tomorrow down your way in the sheep's head. You hear me? Going to get a bit of a battering. He's gone, but I'm sure he's aware of it. Storm on the way tomorrow. Back after ten. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Some more great giveaways this side of Christmas for you. Lovely stuff for you. Michelle Jewelers are back on board again this week with 200 euro daily vouchers and an overall prize of a 1,000 euro voucher on Friday. So that's over 2,000 euro worth of dosh to give away that you can spend to Michelle the Jewelers on Patrick Street. And uh, I'll tell you more about that throughout the course of the morning because it's uh, music related bling related if you like bling related jewellery related but the furniture centre in Blackpool have also given us daily prizes this week and it's not too late to pick something up nice for the house and home this side of Christmas at the furniture centre in Blackpool on the Watercourse Road so we have 500 euro vouchers every day this week and we're looking for Christmas traditions we kind of touched on it there before 10 o'clock we were chatting about the Christmases of long ago and the traditions that people had in their families and perhaps traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation that you still engage in and you still partake in and you keep those traditions going. So what are they? The more unusual ones, ideally, quirky, funny, extraordinary Christmas traditions that you and your family has. So text 0868104106 on that one. We'll read them out. Might even get you on the air. Or email neil at redfm.ie and right across the week, 500 euro vouchers for the furniture centre uh, on uh, the Watercourse Road. So lines open for that as we talk Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> talking about because a big day here today I can tell you because today uh, we're getting our Christmas tree delivered uh, to Cork's Red FM it's on the way hopefully it'll be up and I'm putting pressure on anybody to have it decorated and lit by 12 o'clock but I can't wait for it and thanks to the Clockhouse Nurseries in Inniscarra who will deliver our Christmas tree uh, at some stage this morning and I for one just can't wait <laughs>
bring on the Christmas tree a little later on today. And talking of Christmas and Christmas trees, for those of you with family or friends overseas that won't make it back, just like home hampers are available if you're lucky enough to snaffle one for a loved one. So email me on that, email neil at redfm.ie. My sister Samantha has been living in Nelson, New Zealand for the last 20 years. I'd love nothing more than send her a just like home Christmas hamper. She celebrated her 50th birthday last September and had just booked a trip home to Ireland with her family to celebrate last July and alas could not because of the C word. She'd be thrilled to receive one of these hampers, says Karen Keller. I love the show and the giveaways. It's sad for people not to be home for Christmas. I'm lucky that my daughter Megan and her partner Sado are getting home on the 18th of December from Canada. Megan did get home during a brief period last year when she could travel, but we have not seen Sado for over two years. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But my daughter Vicky, who lives and works in Spain as a teacher, made the decision to stay in Spain this Christmas and not travel. I'd love to send a hamper to make her feel like home. She's one of my best friends. Um, and also another, Susie Ferreira, working and living in Portugal. She'd be working in hospital there over Christmas, so was unable to come home to her home away from home. Um, lovely emails. Thank you for that one, Helena. You're in the mix as well. Maybe my brother Paddy Walsh might win a hamper. He moved to Brisbane in 83 from Spring Lane, Blackpool. He's been home twice, and that was for our parents' funerals. Could you imagine that? Twice since 1983, and on both occasions for funerals. He was due to come home in June 2020 for our baby sister Teresa's 50th and had it booked, but the damn COVID stopped it. My sister says she's staying 50 till he gets home. <laughs> this is Frank Walsh. <laughs> Love to send a hamper to my cousin Samia in Australia who turned 30 this week. She's no luck in receiving birthday presents after her mother was charged a ridiculous amount to send a package. And when Samia wasn't home to receive it, it was returned to sender. <laughs> God. She also sent money and was then contacted by the bank to say a digit was wrong um, and was charged for the error. Oh, my God. This would really cheer her up, says Tracy, by email. Listening to you on the, on the air and getting in contact with my daughter is in Australia. Sorry, that's the same one that came in twice. Apologies. Um, love if you can consider sending one of those amazing Christmas hampers to my brother Mark and sister-in-law Natasha in Perth. We haven't seen them since August 19. In May, they welcomed their first baby into the world down under, Mr. Finn Maguire. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten to meet Finn. Great name. Uh, because of COVID and the borders in Australia being closed. Finn listens to you every morning and he's finally found his little voice to screech back at you. Well, there's enough people screeching at me. Why shouldn't Finn? For his first Christmas, I'd love if you send him over one of his first tastes of proper Cadbury's chocolate. <laughs> I uh, hope uh, you see this and hopefully you'll get a chance to maybe pick them and send them a piece of home. That's from Finn's Auntie Ashling. Lovely email. And just one fine one for now. And we'll do some more right across the week. I'd like to nominate my daughter Kate for one of your hampers. She's a pacer nurse for mental health services in Sydney. She recently took part in episode four of Nurses Down Under, which we got to see. Words cannot explain how proud I was of her. She represented Irish nurses abroad so well we couldn't be prouder. She so deserves a gift of a hamper from home. Due to the pandemic, she hasn't been on for two years. Perhaps you might consider her. A lovely email from Brida Gardner, who's very proud of her nursing daughter in Sydney, Australia. So keep those emails coming. Email neil at redfm.ie. We might even get some calls on air, but I'm certainly happy to read out as many emails as I can between now and, say, the end of the week, right? Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Sarah, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. How I know you've doing? been waiting for an age. Appreciate you holding on. Listen, um, Mick Mulcahy last week, uh, I didn't hear it, but I know he was talking about a shortage of um, tan, was it? And that more and more people now, because they couldn't get their hands on tan, were using sunbeds. Was that, was that the gist of it? Correct, correct, yes. I just, I missed the start of the conversation, but as... And why is there a shortage of tan product? Is it to do with shipping and freight and problems coming in from overseas or something, is it? No, not there, no. No, Neil, while I was on hold there, the coverage wasn't great. I was in and out. Okay, Grant, but do you, do you know why there's a shortage of tan product? No, I missed the start of that conversation. Why I messaged in was uh, the danger of sunbeds. Yeah, because then more people are using sunbeds and you, did you use them too much? Oh, well, I suppose in June, so I would have started using them in my 20s every year. Okay, okay. Would you go so far as say you abused them? Yes, I would. Right. I would. Okay. But not, not abuse them as in maybe go on twice a day, but if I was going on holidays and if I came back, I'd want to maintain the, the tan and I would definitely go on them frequently. Okay, yes, so you didn't, have your, you didn't have your own tanning bed, though? I would have hired one, yes, over the years. Would you now, in the house? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. And what would you get it in for a week or ten days or what? No. Like 30 years ago, you'd have got it for the month. Would you really? Oh, yeah, yeah. The cheaper the cheaper the price, the, the longer you'd have it for. Okay. You so know, you're, you're going around with a perpetual tan then in you, the winter? You take it. Yeah. So would you have a constant tan then? Okay, I think it's a problem with our phone lines, I'd say. It was the same issue with uh, Eddie English and problems I've been having all morning. So apologies for that. If I manage to correct it and rectify it, I will come back. Um, but if it's going to be this way for all phone calls, then we certainly will be challenged of that, you can be sure. Lines open nonetheless. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850. Uh, 104, 106. There's a lot of text this morning as well on different topics that I was dealing with, particularly with regards to the uh, the C word and trying to get our lives back and issues like that. So uh, I'm going to go through those as well. Um, but uh, some emails that came in. Well, I was just talking about stuff that Mick did on air last week. There is um, uh, a couple of emails that clearly he'd been dealing with last week. In fact, one or two of them are topics that I dealt with as well and a lot of us to do with uh, primary schools. So I just do those and see if we can fix our phone lines, particularly with those that are cold in school. My daughter's in primary school and absolutely frozen in the school. She wears many layers at school and the teacher overheard her telling her friends how cold she was and her mam's going to have murder if she's not allowed to wear a coat because the teachers are wearing coats and scarves and drinking hot tea all day and the kids are freezing. But under no circumstances will the teacher get away with wearing coats and scarves. Uh, Under no circumstances will a teacher get away with wearing coats and scarves while my child is freezing. Sorry, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, uh, It has more to do with the fact that the kids are still not allowed to wear coats while the teachers are and drinking hot tea. But I'm a Leaving Cert student and we're all suffering from the cold in our classrooms. We are not allowed to wear our own clothes as, that, as all that concerns senior members of staff is that we wear school uniforms. I completely understand that we must keep the classrooms ventilated, but I think a bit of common sense as well uh, and not having the fire exit and all the windows open in classrooms would help. In one particular classroom, it adjoins the main corridor and all the windows and the fire exit door and the classroom doors are constantly open. There is nothing short of a gale coming through the classroom. Uh, and onto the main corridor, and I'm not one to exaggerate. This is a Leaving Search student. We're coming into December, and we've had a hard enough 2020 and 2021. Uh, I feel we sh- should be making each other's lives easier instead of our senior staff only worried about uniforms. 
And we have a gale coming through the classroom that, uh, to cover their own back. Last year, they were much more understanding. But since we've come back, it seems they think that the cold doesn't affect anyone anymore. Following this one, uh, what, following this, one of the boys' toilet, toilets has been closed for the senior cycle and the other closed for the junior cycle. There's only one person allowed into the bathroom at a time and others must queue outside. I had to take 10 minutes out of geography to go to the bathroom last week and that's simply wrong. As well as this, they've now introduced a new rule that you must bring your journal to the bathroom to be signed in by one of the people sitting at the toilet door. I find it baffling as they're telling us we must wipe down surfaces and reduce touch points, but this person signing the journal never once sanitizes their own hands. I hope you get the time to read this out. As I said, I don't want my details given up, but believe me, I am not exaggerating. I've been waiting to catch the year head to complain about this matter, but saw that other schools were having similar issues. So I said I would email you instead. And then there's another one that's bothersome. I know that um, it's going to change now with regards to gyms. And COVID passes and what have you. Uh, I've a retired family member who was injured from the first vaccine and treated with Ghislaine Barr syndrome. He's a very active man, walked his Springer dog three times a day, cycled five days, five miles a day, used the pool in the local leisure centre every weekday morning. However, he has spent nine weeks in hospital and now has to use a crutch. He's unable to take another vaccine. So there's no way of getting a COVID cert to use the pool as part of his recovery. No way of getting a COVID cert to go to the gym. Uh, I think this is wrong on so many levels that a man who worked all his life gets injured from a vaccine that no one can be liable for and then is discriminated against like this. He asked his doctor for an exemption pass uh, who sent him in the direction of the HSE but has got nowhere with any of these. Don't give up my details. I, I can't understand why he's not given an exemption on the basis of what you said to me in an email. Uh, you would think that he would automatically get an exemption um, and get a COVID pass or get some kind of a document that would allow him in and out uh, on the basis of his illness alone. But somebody else then was in a supermarket in Bantry, um, so shocked at what I saw. Five people, no masks. Please tell them that, uh, please don't tell me they're too unwell to wear a mask. Uh, the virus would kill them outright. Eight people with their noses hanging out. Uh, pointless wearing a mask. No one using the sanitizer on entrance or exit. There's a huge surge of people sanitizing recently, but this didn't last long. Social distancing is a thing of the past. In another supermarket down west, one woman was leaning around the PVC screen to inquire about antigen testing. 98% of people are ignoring. Uh, I could feel the breath of my, on my neck from the guy behind me. Some people think that staff should speak up, but I inquired and they're not allowed to as people are getting confrontational. So staff in supermarkets have to stay quiet. With this new variant and people's attitude, it's scary. I find myself getting more vocal with the idiots. A friend of mine, vaccinated, just had COVID and it was still nasty and laid her out for a fortnight, says Dave by email to neil at uh, redfm.ie. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. A few minutes, I will talk to Jen. Jen is Jennifer, one half of the Cork band Sparkle. Apparently, there is a new media campaign now. It's an Instagram campaign uh, set up by the former Love Island uh, doctor, Alex George, um, you know, to tackle the stigma around uh, people who take medication for mental health problems or for anxiety or for stress or for worry. And God knows the last two years has added to that multiple times. 
Um, and a lot of people are joining this trend now where they're actually posting online photographs of the pills that they take or the tranquilizers and the medication that they take uh, for their mental health. And uh, Jen is one of them. Uh, it's extraordinarily brave of her uh, because she has been struggling over the past two years. Mind you, she's in a much better place now. Uh, and I'll chat with her about that. But just ahead of that, um, keep those lovely texts coming with regards to your Christmas traditions. I love those. We have 200 euro voucher from Michelle Julius to give away all week long. Uh, and also an opportunity for you to win a wonderful prize from um, uh, the Furniture Centre on the Watercourse Road. Um, and I'll tell you more about those. But keep the texts coming. Uh, and I see lots of them coming in already. Some texts from earlier on this morning when I was talking about, uh, you know, way too much, way too much talk. Uh, about about COVID in the media. Thank you finally for talking some sense. Welcome back. I was in a match yesterday in Tralee. 11,000 were at it shoulder to shoulder. It felt good again, says somebody here by text. Mind you, this texter says, feck COVID. I'm not suggesting you should be reckless or anything. Just We just need to dial down the talking. Uh, could you please put this out there? Since when did fully vaccinated teenagers need an adult with them to eat indoors? My daughter and friends were refused to be allowed to eat indoors at a premises in the city, but were told they could eat outdoors. I think the places are making up their own guidelines. Um, fully vaccinated teenagers with um, COVID passes. The only reason that could have been was if it was full indoors, surely be to God. Other than that, that was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. So nice to hear Neil talking sense about COVID. has given me so much hope. Thank you. You're on the ball this morning about trying to carry on our lives and live our lives and not deal with all of the fear-mongering. So thanks again. Love the show. Merry Christmas to all. If you want to stop talking about COVID, then you start and stop talking about it yourself. But I do agree, we all know what we have to do at this stage. Somebody else suggests, can you not see the irony of your ranting about COVID earlier this morning? No, I failed to see any irony in it whatsoever. It was observations that I was making earlier on this morning um, from the amount of media coverage and the amount of people that get rolled out and the amount of opinions that we put up with and the amount of fear that it's causing. I see nothing ironic about that. And if you're suggesting that people shouldn't go overseas and get on an airplane, I don't agree with that either. I think people need to be able to get on with their lives, do everything they're asked to do, follow all of the protocols and just get on with your life. That's what I'm saying. And if that includes people wanting to go overseas, then I'm okay with all of that too. Uh, Neil, thousands are coming forward for jabs and don't forget, thousands are protesting. Go on, say it. Uh, actually getting a bit fed up of this by now, says Terry. And I suppose a lot of people are. Another one. So now we have censorship. Where's our freedom of speech? You were on about the States this morning. Do you know how many cases were detected in the States yesterday? 119,000 new cases. I'm not disputing the numbers or anything. It's, it's the amount of talk and it's the amount of noise related to it. The constant um, talk. Um, and uh, that's all. I'm not disputing the number. Never have. Never even disputed the importance of, you know, stay safe and do all the right things. Uh, I'm, on, I'm in my 80s. All I can say is that we are a nation of complainers. Everyone is doing their best. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. And it's it's great to catch up with you about another aspect of your life that I, I wasn't aware of. Clearly, I know of you and Caroline and the music and Sparkle and your success. But beneath all of that, uh, you have been very open and honest in the last few days about the struggles you've been going through with regards to mental health problems. Um, you're OK to chat about that, aren't you? 
yeah yeah no problem because because i know for many people i nearly said the last year has been difficult but good god it's closer to two years now um but I have to ask you as well, you know, the issues that you've been going through over the over the past year or so, are, are they COVID related because of lockdown and not being able to work and worry and fear about, you know, your livelihood and your future? Or are, are you still carrying a lot of trauma and hurt and anxiety and sadness over your brother's death, Rob's death 10 years ago? Um, yeah, no, it's definitely kind of a bit of both, I suppose, really. I suppose I've kind of gone through, as probably everyone has gone through an awful lot in their own lives, but um, my way of dealing with things was to keep busy all the time. That's how I kind of got through day to day. I keep myself so busy that I couldn't think about anything, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically then when the lockdown hit, I had way too much time on my hands and I kind of felt like the last, I suppose, over 10 years of all of this stuff that had happened kind of hit me with a bang. You know, I, I had moved back up from Tralee to Cork and I was in a new house on my own and I, I just kind of, I lost myself a bit. I suppose I wasn't doing the job I love. I wasn't doing anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> as a, a couple of people, I suppose, were, were housebound as well. Um, and I just kind of lost myself an awful lot. But I think it was an awful build up then from the last couple of years as well, if you, if you know what I mean. So, so kind of just brought it out. So the, you know, the lockdowns, and we had many of them, and with all of the time you had on your hands, you had time to reflect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, way too much time to think, <laughs> um, which for me, I suppose, I, I didn't do that on purpose, you know, I, to try and keep going through, I suppose, losing my brother, then losing my mom, or sorry, then losing my dad, then losing my mom, you know. Oh, for God's um, sake, your mom, dad so, and your brother. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and like, there was only the four of us, so there was just kind of me left. So I always kind of had this weird, like, kind of feeling after, I suppose, everyone had gone that I kind of didn't belong anywhere. It's like the weirdest feeling. I can't really describe it. Like, I, can, know, I can imagine um, it must be at least weird to be in a family unit yeah. of four and then be down to mm. you on your own. If nothing else, it must be incredibly lonely. Very, yeah. It's myself and the dog now that's left. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was. It's It's been very kind of lonely, all right. And even, I suppose, feeling so down and feeling so anxious and all of this stuff that I didn't have before. Like, I would have been kind of social enough. You know, I was never a social butterfly, like, but I wouldn't have been, like, awkward or shy or, like, yeah. afraid to talk or afraid of people. And all this kind of stuff started happening to me. And I was like, uh, I kind of didn't know how bad I had gotten, I suppose, really, you know, how it was kind of spiralling out of control, that kind of way. Well, they, um, well, it is said that the amount of people who are suffering with mental health issues as a result of COVID um, is very, yeah. very high. We, we know of waiting lists for surgical work. So there's no difference between surgical work on other parts of the body and work on the mind and the brain. So men, you're, you're mm. certainly not alone in that regard. But do, do you mind if I just dwell a little bit on Rob? Was was he struggling badly? I know he was quite young. I think he was, did he, was he like 2021 yeah he was only 20 um so we didn't really i suppose see it was like looking back now his mood wasn't great you know and i feel like if i had known maybe better see i wasn't living at home at the time either um so i wasn't really seeing him every day or anything so when we talked on the phone or text or anything it was all banter and having a laugh like there was no kind of like i feel down you know that kind of way there was nothing said um so i suppose what with rob it came out of nowhere for us like i had been texting the night before and there was nothing like you know yeah. and the morning then like my parents rang me or whatever and um 
yeah, it was horrific. Like, so I suppose, obviously, since then, I'm very conscious that, like, you know, I, I've kind of gotten a thing. If my friends don't text me back or if they don't answer the phone, I think there's something very wrong. Yeah. Do you know what kind of way? Yeah, I know. Because I suppose I'm so hyper aware. You're on alert. Now, you know. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah, I exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, 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 so COVID, oh, it's so sad to hear that, that poor misfortunate brother of yours who you love so much. So his birthday came around, of course, last week. And um, and I'll come back to that um, with regards to mm. you being uh, a lot more open about the medication that you're on now because of the, you know, maybe the stigma that's attached to tranquilizers or, or different tablets that people might get. But what would what would a typical what would a typical COVID day have been for you at your worst, for instance? Um, my very worst. Um, I suppose I'd wake up. I wouldn't want to be alive. Um, I wouldn't want to be here. I'd have no hope for the day, really, to be honest. Um, I would kind of go out in the evening, like Caroline and myself weren't living together at the time, but she lived very close by, so I'd kind of call over to them in the evening. But I might stay there for maybe two hours, say, and I'd come back again, and I'd have no... I was just wasn't in good form. I just I was so down on myself. I had no energy, kind of, you know. Yeah. And I was so anxious. Then I suppose I, I was kind of safe place with myself and Carrie, you know. But like, if if anyone else was to call or to want to meet up, I would cancel. I wouldn't show up. I, you know, I was just kind of a hermit. Really, I was just keeping to myself. And I just, I, God, Neil, it was awful to be honest. Like, um, it just wasn't um, a nice headspace to be in. Yeah, you know? yeah. Did you struggle to yeah, get out of yeah. the bed, kind of thing? Oh, I definitely did. Yeah, yeah. So like that's I, I kind of wouldn't get up really until the evening. And at that, you see, I wasn't sleeping at night. So um, that's why I would stay in bed kind of, I suppose, later in the day. And um, my mind at night was like a whirlwind. Like I just, my thoughts were racing and I was, I suppose, getting flashbacks and going through, I suppose, the years that I hadn't dealt with, <laughs> you know, and it was all kind of come on, coming up so fast then. Um, so it was just a lot to kind of process. And you weren't, weren't you weren't gigging, so, you weren't performing, you didn't have any work. Many, many areas yeah. of employment in society got hit, but entertainment mm. got hit very, very badly because literally the lights went completely out on you. So d- did you feel, did that overwhelm you as well with regards to not being able to see a future career-wise? It is, yeah. Um, I suppose I spent most of my life trying to make music my full-time job, you know, and in 2019, we kind of said, look, we'll give the band a proper shot now, we get the full band together, we have the two-piece, we'll go doing weddings, we'll do everything, you know, and we were on our way, like, in even the January of the the start of the pandemic, we'd been over in Japan gigging, like, that was huge to me, that was like, yeah. oh my God, you're after achieving something brilliant here now with Trend Micro and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but then when everything locked down, the first couple of weeks, everyone was delighted. Asher, look, we have a couple of weeks off, you know. Um, but I suppose I saw no future with that then either. And I kind of felt like I've wasted my whole life trying to build this career in music. And now, uh, you know, it's not essential. It's not a real job. It's not even, you know, it's work being completely looked over. Like, Comple- you know, completely, in the sense that I got the impression yeah. that they regarded it as not being a career at all or a profession. Oh, literally. Inter- like, they were offering us, like, you know, retraining and all this kind of stuff. And like, we've spent years training to, you know, play music and do sound and do lights and do everything. You know, it, it's, I suppose, performers and entertainers were just completely thrown to the side, I feel, anyway. And when, and when did you decide that you wanted to get better or that you couldn't live that kind of a life? because clearly there looked to be no end in sight with regards to COVID and God knows where we're going the back end of this year and into next year where they don't even talk about that. When did, when did you decide? Yeah. Was, was it a chat with Caroline or um, did you make the move yourself? 
um, I had to make the move myself. Um, so, uh, like, I suppose one of the things I go through every year is the anniversaries fall one month after the other. So, <laughs> my brother's in August, my dad's in September. Um, sorry, my mom's in September, my dad's in October. Um, so that those couple of months, I dread coming up to August because it's always like in in a line. So by the end of October last year, I was just I, like I was so bad, Neil, and I was like, if I don't do something. I'm going to fall into the same trap that my brother did. Not trap, but you know, I'm just going to feel how he did, and I I don't want to do that. You know, because yep, I see, yep. what, I see, saw what it did to people. You know, you kind of were um, there, Jen. You said that you didn't yeah. want to go on. You know, so it, yeah, it, it, it yeah. really was time um, to try and turn the page. And I, and I know that I mean it's a difficult thing to go into a GP because you don't have a broken arm. You have a you have a, a, yeah. a brain that needs a little bit of help. You know, uh, is that difficult? Yeah, I found that very hard. No, Caroline was amazing. Like she's kind of obviously my rock. Like she's been with it all, or sorry, with through it, with it. Oh my god, I can't even talk. <laughs> sorry, she's been with me the whole way through it. Sorry, um, but um, yeah. So she convinced me as well. Like, look, Jen, like <laughs> you're kind of fading away here. Like you need to do something. So I did, and it, it just happened that the doctor had an appointment on the second of December, which is my brother's birthday as well. So I kind of took that as a sign. All right, it's like okay, you need to go and do this. Um, I found it very, very hard. I was very nervous very awkward anyway so when I went in I was just telling him everything I was telling him I was feeling and he like recommended medication straight away I kind of thought he might recommend say counselling or talking first but he was like medication is the first step and I was kind of taken aback by that at the time at the time I suppose again with stigma and like oh god no like I have to take these and what people kind of judge me for taking them and you know <laughs> all this carry on which I don't know it's just not right to feel like that like you yeah. said if it was a broken arm yeah. you go in and you get your arm fixed or if it's insulin for diabetic you wouldn't be like oh shame on you no, you know, so, no it's just no no you know like so it's I did just, I mean I did yeah. look I mean I, I've, I've clearly I don't have a medical background but I did look at the different medications that you were on um, and I think at one you know these weren't all at the one time but there were five different um, tranquilizers or antidepressants um, was that a case of trying to get the mix right yeah so it's been a trying lot to get of the balance right yeah yeah. That, yeah exactly yeah so I suppose the first thing they kind of wanted to start was my sleeping because I wasn't sleeping at all and that was making me even more anxious and you know more stressed and more down and you know when you're tired like you're just not feeling yourself anyway so yeah. I wasn't sleeping at all so um, he recommended recommended mirtazapine which is kind of for anxiety and to kind of help you sleep kind of thing it, it's quite drowsy you know and um, so we started on a low dose and eventually now I'm up to 45 milligrams of that so I find that excellent that helps me sleep at night which I think you know sets me up for the next day at least you know and sertraline um, what's that what's is that something similar um, so that's an antidepressant then okay. so um, with sertraline I, I kind of started on a low dose and worked my way up and then I was taking the two together and they weren't really agreeing with each other yeah. so I had to wean, wean back down and come off that um, now in the meantime while I was coming back down off that um, I, I feel like the sertraline definitely was doing something for my inner thoughts my inner dialogue you know all the time I wouldn't be great to myself how I talk to myself yeah. um, so it definitely helped calm that down so when I came off it I was back to square one with that side of things, and I was still sleeping, so that was good. But um, oh, I, I mean, I what actually, were those? What were those messages that you were getting to yourself, criticizing yourself? Um, is it? Yeah, very self-criticizing, but also like that. You know, no one wants to be your friend. You're you don't deserve to be loved. Caroline doesn't want you. You know, all this kind of 
really over the top thinking that like you know compared to facts doesn't actually make any sense no you know? because in reality <laughs> so, you just yeah, got in, in reality you had got engaged yeah <laughs> I know I know and sure I'd be there telling myself look you're going to be alone forever Joe you know, this kind of thing is uh, that's kind of what I was kind of dealing with you know just that you know my friends aren't my friends and you're not I just that kind of self-criticism kind of talk you know yeah, um, yeah, so yeah. when I did come off it then it, it actually frightened me I said it to Cara I was like this isn't normal like this because I suppose I had a couple of months of what I call it is noise in my head so I've had a bit of quietness where like I'm calm and I'm not attacking myself inside my head and I'm I'm just I'm just fine do you know I'm grand um but when I came off them it all started again so I was like I felt there was something else more wrong with me or I don't know if that's the right thing to say wrong with me but just I felt there was something else up so I approached my GP again and I said look this is what happened and he said okay we're going to refer you to well I actually asked to be assessed in um, a professional way by a psychiatrist or someone like that like you know so um, they referred me down to Onakura um, Day Hospital in Middleton um, so I'm in Castlemarsh so I was like that's perfect that's grand so I went in there anyway and I was dying now going in like I was very nervous very anxious going in and the psychiatrist was lovely like and he was like there's nothing wrong with you like you know you've been through this this and this and this and this is why you're like this now so what we need to do is try and balance your medication um I actually sorry I've got to say the GP recommended counseling as well at the time with the medication you know and um my friend just happened to put up um last Christmas because I, I think Christmas is a hard time for people overall I think and especially if you've lost loved ones and mm-hmm. things like that like you know um so yeah I saw a link up for this college in Dublin called PCI College and it's a, like a low cost counseling service mm-hmm. um and obviously I was out of work at the time so I was like okay brilliant it was 10 euro a session it's basically students that are nearly qualified um, and brilliant? you can, yeah, I just thought that was so helpful, like, you know, for anyone that's looking for, because like counselling is expensive, I, I think anyway, especially, especially if you're out of work, you know, it, it costs a lot. And um, so I, you can't, you can't like, just, you can't just get it through the HSE. It's not like as if you um, go to a, an A&E for counselling. It's not that straightforward. Well, you can go through the HSE, but it takes a number of weeks to get that appointment. Like it could take months, you know. And I just feel like anyone, yeah. I suppose, in the headspace I was in, I couldn't wait months. Like I, I like I'm very like I need to fix it yesterday. Yeah. I, that's you know I'm that kind of person. But you know, I just felt like I can't, I can't wait months. I have to do something now. And this low cost thing was just brilliant. So I thought they were brilliant. So I started with my counselor and. Um, I found it very hard at the start to kind of talk and I found it awkward and, it, you know, I um, it is hard at the start, but you kind of get used to it and you get into your own rhythm and then, you know, it, it do, I find it really helps. Talking anyway, helps. You know, did, they, did you get a yeah, diagnosis? Definitely. Was it, was it PTSD or so? It would have been, or was it anxiety, um, depression, lots more besides? Yeah, so anxiety, depression and complex PTSD. Um, so that's kind of what they came back to me with. Now, we're still working on it. I'm not kind of, you know, signed off on everything yet. Like I only had an appointment there again, sure, on the second, um, on Rob's birthday. That was the year. <laughs> so it just happened to be on his birthday again, like, you know. Um, so on that appointment, they've changed our meds now again because a second time we tried sartreline that didn't work again so now we're on to Prozac I think it's called yeah but ahead Um, of that there was Propanolol and Trevacquil was there Sorry, yeah. yeah. So the propanolon I find excellent because Neil, when I get anxious, I can't breathe. It feels like there's somebody standing on my chest, and it's so so hard to breathe. And um, I was shaking, my dream, I have a dream out, and I I can't kind of get out of it. <laughs> um, so now when I know something like that's coming on me, I take one of those, and within half an hour, I'm 
a different person. I'm just calm. I can breathe. My, I'm not shaking. You know, my mouth's not dry. It's not building up into what I know. It's going to become a panic attack yeah. and everything. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. now obviously like with that, I suppose it's not a long term fix either. I know I need to go back and do work to make those panic attacks stop happening. You know, um, well, I mean, the, the people, travel- it, it is said, all right, that the medication doesn't fix the problem. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the long term as such, or it doesn't. No, no. And I, I know it's just kind of, I suppose, to try and, I suppose, help me through this Correct. to figure, not yeah. figure out, but, you know, talk through what I need to face and get over and kind of work through. I, hey, I mean, you take, a ta- over, you take a tablet for blood pressure, <laughs> wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't you take a tablet exactly. if, you, if you can't breathe, you know, because of anxiety yeah. or stress or, oh, you know, just mm. literally you need to be able to breathe. But you talk about the stigma um, or, or some would be ashamed or embarrassed to talk about the different medications mm-hmm. they're on. You, you list all five that you were through um, and, and, yeah. and without them, you, you possibly wouldn't even be here chatting to me. She wouldn't. I, I definitely wouldn't like and you know saying that like that post I did um the other day I did that because I hadn't even told any of my friends like you know only Caroline knew um what what you know all this I was going through I was too embarrassed to tell my closest friends like that I know would support me and be there for me you know and I don't want anyone to kind of feel like it's embarrassing or they have to be ashamed of what they're doing you know to get through or there shouldn't like I said like a diabetic wouldn't be ashamed of taking insulin and it should just be that kind of mentality I think you know for mental health and I just I, I I hate that I felt so bad about it you know like I was making myself feel worse for taking medication to help my mental health do you know and, po- I mean? and post your post your pill is an Instagram page isn't it that has started where people like your good self and others let people mm-hmm. know what they're on and, and talk about the medication they're on am I right to to, to banish mm-hmm. the stigma yeah, exactly. So it's like a, a trending hashtag. So you, so you hashtag post your pill. So if you go onto Instagram, you look it up, you can see everyone. It's the same kind of post, like someone's hand with what medication they're on. And like some people are, you know, showing their medication for fibromyalgia and all yeah. that kind of stuff like as well, you know. Um, but again, like they make, they find their stigma, stigma with that for them, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I found it very good to kind of go through and be like, oh, this person's on this, like the same as me and yeah, I'm not the only one going through right. it. And Do you're you know not, of course, you're not the only person, yeah. of course. I referred to that earlier, the amount of people who have struggled over the past 20 months, maybe, uh, you know, maybe longer than 20 months. But when COVID came along again with more time to reflect and, and more worries, it just explodes, it mushrooms into a much bigger problem. It yeah. does. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it was only waiting to happen with myself anyway. Even if COVID, did, COVID hadn't happened, it would have caught up for me. Like, you know, it was just an awful lot to kind of process. And, and kinda, are you looking towards you know, the future now a lot more optimistically? I mean, were you, you know, when you shared your post, were you a little bit worried about how people would react to it? Yeah, I was literally bright red in the face. I was shaking and I was like, you know, asking Carly, like, is this definitely the right thing to do? And the reason I did it I was, again, look, I just... I hoped it might help somebody, you know, not feel the way I did and be embarrassed of, you know, going to their GP or talking to their friend or talking to a counsellor or taking medication. I just wanted it to hopefully help one person because I felt like, you know, I I couldn't help my brother, <laughs> you know, that kind of way. Yeah, but I wanted yeah. to try, I want to try help somebody else. I think it all you know? helps really that people should be able to discuss how they're feeling, you know, not feel ashamed about yeah. it. Find a person that they can talk to, whoever it might be, uh, and just open up, you know. So I think it's a fabulous thing for people to be doing. Um, And, you know, maybe maybe this time next year we'll be having an entirely different conversation, you know. Are you looking forward to Christmas this year, for instance? 
yeah, do you know what, Neil? It's my first Christmas that I'm actually not like in the depths of depression. And I'm, you know, Caroline and Nelly are here with me. We're going to have hopefully a lovely family Christmas. We've been through an awful lot this year, I suppose, loads of ups, but then obviously Caroline's crash and stuff as oh, well. I know. Um, I know. So we're so grateful to just be all together and um, hopefully just have a lovely Christmas. Yeah. So I'm, you, I'm actually excited for Christmas. And you will so, have a lovely so. Christmas. And how is Caroline? Is she recovering? I mean, it's a, it's a slow process, I know. Yeah, no, she's doing really well now. She's back on her feet and she's on one crutch flying around the house. Um, so she's getting her strength back and she'll be on um, the last thing you're standing now on Saturday for the finals as well. So she's um, she's she's buzzing for that now as well. So hopefully her neck race will be off in the next few weeks as well. Um, so she's getting there. She's she's back. She's back being bossy anyway. <laughs> That's great. Well, so, listen, happy Christmas to all of you. Bench. Happy Christmas to you all. It's good to chat. You're very Thanks. brave, Jen. Thanks for taking the call. Mind yourself. Thanks so much, Neil. Have a good one. Well done to Jen and well done to Caroline. That sparkle with the full band and long way home. Lovely to chat with her and I send her all the best wishes and love in the world. Lines open at one 104 106 You can text 0868-104-106. Oh, and listen, very briefly, there's a 200 euro voucher from Michelle Jewellers and a thousand euro to give away on Friday morning, bringing it up to two grand. And it's all to do with bling. So it's very straightforward for the 200 euro voucher. I'll be opening the phone lines just before midday today for Michelle, the Jewellers, Patrick Street Cork and I need you to identify the artists and the three song titles and it's all connected to bling and jewellery and shiny things and gorgeous things so artists and titles these are the songs have a listen I'll play it a few times between now and maybe 10 to midday have an aged alright those three another listen All right, do nothing at all till around about 10 minutes to midday. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Well, you may have gathered earlier on we're having problems with our phone lines this morning, so there's not much I can do about that. But not to worry. Lots to do nonetheless. You're stuck with me. Um, but we'll dip in and out and see how we go with it. But let me just tell you that um, I want you to keep those wonderful, wonderful stories, those nostalgic, unusual, quirky, extraordinary, traditional Christmas traditions that you engage in every year. Maybe they were handed down through the generations. Like one of the crazier things that I came across was the person who puts tomato soup on their Christmas dinner instead of gravy. I mean, would you, would you do something like that? Would you spoil a perfectly good Christmas dinner? with tomato soup instead of gravy but anyway each to his own so text on those text 0868104106 email neil at uh, redfm.ie here's a different kind of Christmas tradition for you every December in our house my mother got Sky Sports switched on for my dad so he could watch the World Darts Tournament this was his Christmas present from my mother to this day and ever since I watch darts religiously and I even go to the tournament in the City West every year. My father passed away in 2004. I'd love to win a voucher for the Furniture Centre for my mother. We're doing up her sitting room at the moment, says Marie Walsh in Ladbrokes and St. Luke's. Can you do that? Can you get it turned on for... 
the Christmas and then turned off again. I suppose if you have Sky, you can have the Sky Sports switched on for a period of time, I suppose. That's a lovely gesture. You know, I'm sure your dad loved it. We always spent Christmas Day in my sister's house, so my parents would come too. Every Christmas Day, my dad disappears for 10 minutes and returns with a small little jewellery box with earrings for all the girls. He hasn't done it the last few years as he's retired now and the number of girls in the family has grown a lot. <laughs> but it was always a lovely special tradition. I suppose it was when it was manageable. But you know the way grandchildren come along and the family gets bigger and bigger. Not a weird tradition, says Leanne, but my favourite one by far was every year my children would shout, Thank you, Santa! Up the chimney. On Christmas morning. Oh, that's fantastic. Was it Santa or Santi, though, up the chimney? Thank you, Santi. Uh, Santa wraps the sitting room door every Christmas. It's so exciting to rip the paper off and see what he's left. Um, wow, isn't that brilliant? Christmas wrapping on the entire door. That's a fabulous... There's a bit of work involved in that, Maggie. But it's a great idea. And Tara says, My mam used to bring out the special plates for Christmas dinner. They wouldn't be seen for the rest of the year. They were not as small as side plates, but definitely not as big as dinner plates. Everybody used to complain that we couldn't put a bit of everything on the plate because of their size. So a little friendly disagreement would start. And it's been going on for over 20 years. I can't wait for Christmas Day dinner again this year. Ah, uh, that's a fantastic text. Thank you, Tara. The, lit- the special plates, the china would come out of the cabinet. You know, and if you were lucky enough, you might have an extensive china set that also had the tea plates and the coffee and also, the obviously, the dinner plates and the side plates. And they come out once a year. Why in the name of God, in all of those years, they were only used maybe once or twice a year, I do not know. It was the same in our house. Locked away in a cupboard. Come out at Christmas time and be put away again. I suppose it was because if they were out all year, they wouldn't last from one Christmas to the next. But I love those kind of traditions. Keep them coming. Um, and uh, text them if you wish. Text 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. <laughs> Pretty thing, it? You better believe it's a pretty thing, Bing. Christmas is just around the corner. So we got 500 euro vouchers every day this week then for the Furniture Centre in Blackpool. Irish-made products for over 40 years. And uh, your opportunity is only a text or a phone call away. Text for now, lads. Leave the phones off, I would think. But uh, certainly text your Christmas traditions. And the Furniture Centre on Watercourse Road have given us uh, two and a half grand's worth of vouchers between now and Friday. Also, we have our Just Like Home hampers to send to loved ones who won't be coming home this Christmas time. Morning, I'm Catherine. I'd love to, if our daughter Vicky Lawley got one of your hampers, she lives in Bahrain in the Middle East for 25 years. Listens to your show every day, either live or later online. Loves it. She manages to come home every year, but since COVID has not been able to. We miss her terribly and certainly will at Christmas because we love her dearly. She loves her Barry's tea and her tato crisps, but as you can imagine, Irish products are scarce in Bahrain. I hope we're lucky. Happy Christmas to you all at Red FM. I tune in every morning at work. Love the show. I'd love if my son David Bennett, who lives in London, was in the running for one of your Christmas packs. Moved to London in 2020 to take up his first teaching post. The very lonely time for him, it was in the middle of lockdown. He knew nobody. 
So he took up running to give him something to do. Now he's over four stone lighter, super fit, and has completed a couple of half marathons as well as 10Ks all over London. He misses home and loves to receive the post, so we send him regular goodies from Ireland and he always gets a big smiley WhatsApp message to say that he's received them. Simple things like raspberry creams, purple snacks and Tato can mean a lot when you're away from home. He came home last summer and we were hopeful that he'd make it again this Christmas if we weren't locked down again. Uh, he's made friends now, finds it easier, but all through 2020, being his mammy, I knew how lonely he was, though he never said it as he wouldn't want to worry me or his dad. He's a fantastic young man. We're so proud of him for making such a move in the middle of a world pandemic. He loves his job as an English teacher and hopefully in the next few years, he'll come home to us. Beautiful email from Helen Bennett and thank you for it. I was delighted when I heard you were sending hampers again this year. I'd love if you sent one to my daughter Claire Kelly in Perth, Australia. She works as a cancer nurse. She had a beautiful baby daughter in August. I was hoping to go to Australia to be with her and her gorgeous granddaughter but unfortunately due to COVID that was an impossibility. All I can say is thank God for WhatsApp. I know it's not the same, but the pictures and videos help to fill the void of not being able to kiss and to cuddle the two of them. I get consolation from the fact that Claire has a great group of friends there, four of which she went to school with. I'm sure she'd love to share some of the homemade produce with them. Imagine that, herself and her mates are out in Perth. That's great. Looks like there won't be any international travel in and out of Western Australia until February or March, so I hope you'll consider Claire and her pals for one of the hampers and bring her a piece of home. Yours in anticipation. And that's from Kathy Kelly. So thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Helen. And thank you, Catherine, for your emails. You can get involved in sending a Just Like Home hamper overseas. You can get them yourself, justlikehome.ie, or you can email me the details of your loved one overseas, and we'll see what we can do. Obviously, we can't give them to everybody, but I'm happy to read out as many as I can. Back after the break on 1850 104 106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Darrow O'Brien, it's great to catch up with you. Morning to you, pal. How are you? Uh, I'm very well, Tim. Good morning to you. I'm yes, very good. well, too. Good. It's just, I, it's really weird because I feel, although I've never met you and I don't know you, I've seen every time I turn on the television, the doyen of the panel show, I feel as if I've known you all my, <laughs> all my life. <laughs> there is a twist that I now meet like people coming to comedy clubs who are like in their early 20s. And I've been on Mock the Week since they were like six or five or something. And they've, so they've, it's, only, it's always just been me handing out points to teams. Like, that's yeah. just a feature of their lives. Like, if you're going, I just, that's weird. I was yeah. just telling my daughter a while ago, and she's 25. I'm just going upstairs to uh, to chat with Dara O'Brien. And she said, oh, my God, the comedian. Yes, said, yes, you like him. Of course. Oh, my God. Of course. But you know something? How does a guy, because I'm curious about this, how does a guy with a degree in, let me get this right mathematics and theoretical physics get into comedy i mean can you actually get a real job from theoretical physics yeah you can you could be doing you could, look i'd be teaching teaching sums to people uh for the very at, at the very least i mean and it felt like that was my, like for 18 months trapped in the house with the kids that was <laughs> what i was doing so the, the mad summer so just come in every so often yeah, yeah so the uh so yeah there is a turn that you, you could end up doing that luckily i ran away to the circus <laughs> Uh, and uh, and did that instead, like the uh, but it's a different part. But people, I think, I, I think I, I occasionally meet parents who go, oh, "My son's thinking of doing the like maybe a degree in maths." And I said, "Do it. You will get credit for it, even if you do a bad job of it, like I did." People just go, 
Gee, well, you must be some manner of genius <laughs> to have done be. this thing like that. It's all right, so, smarty pants with the points department uh, for that degree, to- I'd say. Totally, yeah. And in fact, you know, she was a degree that got else, but, uh, but you get a lot you get a lot of credit for it. And I said, look, dude, you'll, you'll ride that wave. People, people, and it'll shut down conversations. People yeah. don't go, oh, you have a degree in psychology. <laughs> what am I thinking now? You know, that there'll be, there are other degrees that people are less helpful about. I know. But in the mask <laughs> people generally shut up. It's a real conversation stopper because... In one of the, I, went, I went into a wormhole there over the weekend. I'd watch one Darrow O'Brien video on YouTube, and about fifteen seconds before the thing is over, the other one is loading up. So I go into a second one and a third one and a fourth. Oh, that was okay, one of them. You were saying because, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I mean, you get to laugh; it's brilliant. But I know your wife is a doctor, and apparently you get a bit peed off in conversations and cocktails and go out to dinner because you're the only non-doctor in the room. <laughs> With doctors just marry other doctors, you know, and you're the only non-doctor in the room, you know, and you're sitting going, and they, and like, you think after watching, you know, ER and casualties of that, that they'll be telling exciting stories, but they just, it's just stories about NHS management structures and yeah, how this yeah. person is good and that person, and you're going, oh, geez, so no, no. Does yeah. the same thing happen to you, we, does the same thing happen to you, though, I wonder, when you're, when you meet people or you're out socially, do they expect you to be funny on the stage all the time? Well, I think uh, if you ask the partners of any comedians, because uh, you, you get a lot of that kind of, oh, it must be amazing to be married to him or her. You must be laughing all the time. And there's a roll of the eyes. That it's like, uh, because oh, when other comedians meet, you presume it'll be like, boom, boom, boom with the jokes. But no, we just sit and, we just sit and bitch about other comedians. We literally go... What's the, how's he do? How's he as successful as he is? That's essentially <laughs> the, what we do. And I think you're oh, also. Yeah, I see her everywhere. Jeez, I, I see her everywhere at the moment. Like, ah, she'll never work from her. She was rude. <laughs> that sort of stuff like that. So we just, is that, we just, you know. Is that the typically like, oh, Irish thing? Twice. Like, drag him back down into the fishbowl kind of a thing? <laughs> oh, stop it. This week. We're not going to be throwing any credit at people, like whatever. The, uh, and going, oh, look, I see he's in Hollywood now. Oh, Hollywood is there's a lot of that, like whatever comedian. <laughs> I wonder, which, when you sit around with comedians, you probably don't share jokes because you're afraid you'll rob each other's material. <laughs> I don't know. That's where we're quite, quite strict about that thing. We so we tell other people's jokes. We tell a third person's jokes. And generally, though, it's much. Honestly, listen to this terrible joke that such and such is doing, and we'll tell the jokes. And say, no, he's not trying to get away with that, is he? Oh, that's dreadful. That that is not. That is like oh, the most delicious meal to a comedian <laughs> is story of another comedian and their terrible material and how they bombing on stage is it? Oh, died, died roaring because you roaring never bombed or died on stage, have you know? Oh, sure, they were they were they were still booing him when I was on. That's the other <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you couldn't get a knife blade between your patter on stage. I've watched a lot of the Apollo stuff now, and it's so fast paced. I mean, because um, I was just wondering. Is that all planned? I think did I read somewhere some years ago that you that you really are uber structured. You use a whiteboard before gigs, do you? Oh, look, the, the, the show. I mean, when people turn up to see a show, there I've actually have written a show, and there is a um, and you'll sit down, you'll you'll write loads, throw loads of stuff on the wall, you see which bits work, and then you sit down going right. Well, what order is the best way for this to flow, and so that it, it the energy goes up, and I give them relief, and it goes up again, and then there's a huge lift at the end for a big r- routine at the end, and then the yes, yeah, so there's a whole science to how you put the show together, uh, but written into that is the bits where you can break off from it. So you want you want to have the structure and the whole thing worked out, which is I'm literally looking at a whiteboard at the moment with loads of paper pieces of paper stuck to a magnet. So you want the the, the, the things laid out and then you play with it. Because looking and then you kind of write yeah. Yeah, because looking at your work 
on stage. It doesn't come across that way. It's it's very, very polished and very funny. But because you work with the audience and you throw questions to them and you, you razz them, you wind them up, it takes you off on a totally different tangent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I know. I mean, you know, I'm hesitant to say like jazz because jazz is a genuine skill that people spend for ages. <laughs> I'm just talking. But there is a touch of... You know, here, go and take eight bars for yourself and have a bit of a play and then come back to us. You know, like, I'm, I'm not sure that's it's how jazz groups talk to each other. But like, but there is a touch of like, oh, hang on, what are we, what, what we going to say to you? Like, there was a lad in the um, front row in Vicar Street last week. Uh, it was, a, you know, so it was the week before, right? And he, guy called Daniel, I said, what do you do? He said, I, I am a property manager. And I said, wow, how many properties do you look after? And he said, three, right? Meaning three blocks, right? <laughs> but no one in the room took it to mean three. The entire room presumably meant three flats. Three, three-bedroom three semis or something. Three, uh, three, yeah, <laughs> and they all started laughing and I started laughing. I, I got to fit a giggle to this and he, um, he realised that he had made a mistake so he kind of got, oh my God, what have I said here? And then the huge, and then I just about got together to go, Jesus, you must be run off your feet, Daniel, with the three flat. And so this went on for some time and at the end of the show, I was able to bring it back because I do a big thank you to everyone we've spoken to. I was able to go, look, this has been a difficult time the last 18 months. We've all seen people whose jobs are incredibly difficult, nurses, doctors, and I'm building this thing up and I'm looking at, I can see him knowing where I'm going with this and he starts, he lifts up the three fingers at me going, this is what you do. And I said, As exactly. And then the rest of the group <laughs> just start laughing like would one man has shown us what real pressure is. And to the three, oh, he, and he is, not one, not two, three flats look out. Yeah, I know. And you- God love he stood up and t- and waved to the crowd, waved three things to the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, yeah. A, as a thing. It's, yeah, so. it's great to be able to... that, it adds to it. It does, and it looks very, very natural when you do it. I mean, like, for instance, when you're, when you're working with the crowd, you're dealing with many, many different topics and different parts of the world. You know that Irish audience you refer to there by comparison to yeah. the British audience? Are they different audiences? Do they laugh about they're different not, things? They're, they're n- not really. There's the odd, a strange little joke. I mean, there's a couple of things that when you've done them a few times, you see, oh, they didn't get as fast there as they did here. I, I, often, often because my speech patterns are still remain very Irish, that there'll be a thing that the British hear but don't hear, and I and I tease out what it means. But the minute I the minute I say it in Ireland, they get it. But equally, <laughs> we're faster. Equally, yeah. I would take yeah, um, yeah. With, with me, you're faster. Look, but the, yeah, but you know, I'm sure somebody comes over from New York. They're going, geez, why didn't they not get? You know, we all have our own little pockets of things. But actually, weirdly, then I'll do the show England, Ireland, England, Ireland, England, Ireland for a while. Then I'll go around the world with it, and I don't change anything then. Weirdly, the change between England and Ireland and making sure it works in both of them is enough for it to work anywhere else. To work in Reykjavik, to work in Oslo, to work in Dubai, to work in Auckland or whatever. They, it, they, they, once you've done that filtering between England and Ireland, it just works. that's enough. Yeah. Everyone gets it. it was very it funny because yeah. some of the YouTube stuff that I was watching at the weekend was one of the shows at the Apollo. I think, do you hold a record at the Apollo, incidentally, for the most shows? I, I've been on that show. I've been on that show um, more than anyone else. Um, wow. The actual record for doing the number of shows in the Apollo, I'm not quite, I've done about 25 actual nights in the Apollo. The, uh, and, but there's always, you know, you, 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 there's always somebody else. And they'll be like, oh, but Kate Bush did, did 30 or something like that. Can you ah, go but let's not, ta- <laughs> let's not take from your success, like, in fairness to you. But no, that, no, it's got it. But, but, one, yeah. one of those shows actually was very interesting because you were having a, go- a bit of a razz, as we say, with the British audience about not being allowed to make anti-Irish jokes anymore. And it seemed to me as if you were really relishing that. It's no longer, something happened in the 80s where somebody sent a memo around. That was very funny. 
and they stopped doing Irish jokes. Ah, look, it's more of a kind of a, yeah, do you remember? Yeah, what happened there? You used to do that. And then you just stop. And they're all going, yeah, we, we did, didn't we? And you can, it's kind of like this, because people go, oh, look, it's all woke comedy. And you kind of go, and as we were, we had a lot of grief. And then we kind of pointed out, eh, we don't like this. And they all just stopped. And there's a touch of, oh, well, thanks. Like, so we probably, we probably owe the favor on to whoever that's now. But, uh, yeah. but they did knock it on the head for yeah, us. Yeah, like, yeah. So it was very go, funny. Because you're very, you're like, yeah. very physical. I mean, you're very funny to even watch on stage you kind of fit the bill of a comedian and I mean that as a compliment but you know when you because you deal with religion and sex and multiculturalism you know the, the the PC world you mentioned the woke world do you do you fear that on stage now I think you did in an interview recently say somewhere along the lines of that you could F up any day Oh, you could. I mean, because I think there's a lot of topics in which the language has become very specific and people are very very protective of the stance they take and stuff the only thing is most of what I do I'm the person who's the butt of the joke. So it's actually most of my shows, me screwing up, like whatever. In fact, somebody said to me, uh, who went to one of the previews, said about the current show, says, uh, she said, it's a very personal show, he said, like whatever. And I said, sure, of course, there's nothing happened. Couldn't do anything. <laughs> they were all sitting locked in a house. Like, of course, it's personal. I had to troll through my own life for once. Like, yeah. So most of the time, in the whole thing of like, you know, three men walk into a bar and then the third guy does a funny thing. All we did, the modern comics, all the alternative comics, we just got rid of the first two guys and made the third guy ourselves. We just walk into a bar and we do a silly thing. Like, yeah, it's a, but it's the jokes, the same joke. Like, just, we're the butt of the joke. Yeah, yeah. A lot, uh, a lot, of, you, a lot of you know start with the term when you're talking to the audience. Do you guys ever see this or do you guys ever feel this? Or, you know, and, and that's you're off then on a story, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're hoping to find common ground all the time with people. I, and that this is the thing they say. I mean, a lot of it, that's easily mimicked as like, uh, you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed? That's I mean, it. Steve Coogan's yeah. routine about a comedian or whatever. You ever noticed? <laughs> Duncan Tick was his name, the comedian. But the, yeah, it's, uh, so you try to find things, but you, you, it's nice if people go, yeah, it's fine. But look, if, if you're honest about the things that happen in your life, generally they'll come along with you. Yeah. It doesn't have to be specific. Mind you, I had a routine once about a ludicrous disaster movie. I had a whole big routine about this film called 2012 about how over the top it was and a very silly routine. And I was midway through it in Stoke on Trent in the middle of the UK and a man in the front row raised his hand Uh and I had to stop and go, are you all right there? And he went, I haven't seen that film. And I said, okay, well, you sit this one out then, Jeff. And I'll you. Spoiler alert. Jesus Christ. You go, mate, I'll give you enough information to enjoy the routine, all right? Who, the, uh, who, a lot of it is that like. Who influenced you? I know it's one of these stock questions, but it's one I'm always interested in. Is you, I, know you, I know you won the Irish Times Debating Society as a younger man, but so clearly you were able to speak. But who did you look at and admire when you decided, actually, I'm going to run away to the circus who influenced you that's very interesting you know um, there's one that I found very very funny Rich Hall American comedian used to come over here a lot I used to look at him watch the way he put the things together and I used to, he used to br- crack me up Bill Bailey but I end up not doing the same thing I mean it's kind of an important thing you say to people which is go find your own do it so often that you know you, you can't help but be yourself the, uh, so by all means look at other comics and go I love that guy and I love this the, uh, Eddie Izzard probably was the big one yeah. Eddie Izzard you know I would have watched a lot of and, and there's, there's elements of the surreal stuff that there's bits of it in the same way like whatever long rambling kind of things that I do which are a bit similar I go eh a lot which is also a bit similar but the, but it was a point I think where so we said at the very start he looks like a bit of a tribute act to him and you got to get away from that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and find, find, find your own voice I, 
I found it very difficult to find any pauses whatsoever. Some of the sketches were yes. just... I mean, the safari trip was just one of the funniest things I ever saw. Oh, and that's a nice thing, actually, yeah. And a true story as well. I mean, if you say, when, it, when it, a genuinely real thing happens, that's funny. Jeez. You, I, even even if it's embarrassing or... Because people say, oh, in interviews, what's your most embarrassing moment? You go, you don't have them as a comedian because if a thing happens which is embarrassing, you go, well, I'm going to be telling this story for a while. This story is going to put my kids through college because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you can't read the things you can't write because you wouldn't think to put them together, and then you and then the things that just happened, and you go, well, that's just too perfect. That's too ideal a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's yeah. great, and and, I, and it's just a gift. And you if know, it's self-deprecating, you don't care. Oh, look, if I'm the one who went to a pie in my face, that's absolutely perfect. But, when yeah, you, you know, the, the stand-up, of course, it's it's hugely and phenomenally successful. But your television work as well can't be underestimated. I mean, you, you came out of college, went into <laughs> children's television no, and RTV, wasn't yes, it? Yes, don't knock Echo Island. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, because just, they, they don't give you any other job. They, that's literally the job available for you. But if you can imagine me at 23 after swanning around UCD being the king of the hill for for a couple of years of being you know when the old elder states were in the college bit of a personality always hosting things and, yeah. and then the first gig I got was Echo Island <laughs> you know that took a bit of a you know I think somebody put it on the bar and said do you remember him last year <laughs> act like he owned the place and now look at him but and look- I'm there going hello children uh, so, <laughs> But, but they may say, may have said that back then. But look at you now, though. I mean, what what television uh, yeah, have you enjoyed? I mean, have I got news for you? Is incredibly successful. Do you have to stay abreast of all of the news and everything that's or do they feed uh, you no, that the, info? Well, well, no. Look, you go in and they go. Look, we want to talk this. And mock the week is obviously the one I, I mock do the week. Another one, one. Yeah, that yes. one. Do you, do, I mean, well, are you well, prepped well, for that? Mock is the one I do every week. Well, you, certainly in terms of you know what stories are coming up, and you go off and you say, "Have a think." Jeez, what do I think about this? Uh, we say that to every. There's no script for these things, but I like to think that everyone who comes on has had a bit of a think about what's happened in the week. You know, so it's not. And then what we'll do then is somebody says a funny thing, we'll start adding to it, and we'll run, we'll come up with a running joke from it. So it's a kind of a mix of. People come in with stuff and then you listen to them and, and trying to link it all together into something. So it's a kind of a nice mix of them having something and you having something and you adding something to it, like whatever. So you want to be fluid enough to be listening to things. But yeah, you kind of keep across it. I mean, it's not, no one's going, oh my God, I can't believe you got the, you weren't able to list the capital cities of all the, whatever. The, yeah, that you said have the, or all the ministers who, and the, and the amount they made for their second job, <laughs> the thing at the moment in Britain. The, yeah. So, uh, but, so the, no one's coming to us for the news, I hope. But you know a bit of it. Yeah, it's your take on the news. Do you like television or do you prefer the I do the live I audience? Well, the thing the thing about the difference is I prefer look if you had to ask me to do one or the other solely, I'd just do the live. The live is amazing and your live is the live is you creating the show on the hoof, there and then, in the night, it's all yours, right? And and you get all the you know, if you'll get the risk and the reward. Fair but play to you. telly allows you to work with other comics and work with other people, which is it doesn't happen that often. When you when you go to the theatres, uh, when you get to a certain level in comedy, you kinda of tour on your own. Uh, and so it's nice to go back and actually meet other comics. You're hanging hang on your own like because you, you can sell out huge big events yes. rather than being part of a tribe. I mean, that's a great. And also, thing to I'm, be able- I'm greedy, Neil. I don't <laughs> give people an open. I don't. I don't bring anyone with me so they can do twenty minutes to start. <laughs> that's my audience. <laughs> yeah. You can you can go and find your own. Audience. You're protective. <laughs> of yes, it. I mean, I hate yeah. bringing I hate bringing up the c word, but it was. A, I mean, I think your last gig was actually was it the date that COVID lockdowns kicked in? I think you were you were on stage for the last night of that oh I was I was I was in New York at the time and I had to do a runner I had to I was in New York in March and I did I did the this dream of I did a, a night on Broadway 
and I did it on a Friday and the following Thursday Broadway got shut down for a year and isn't a half. it amazing so yeah, yeah. Honestly, I mean, and, and this is the thing that we built up and built up to, like whatever. And this is one incredible night that we had and in a theatre like that. The guy met me after and says, who owns it? Look, that was a great show. You know that Aretha Franklin did her first ever concert here and Leonard Cohen did her first ever concert here. And you're going, thank you for not telling me that before I went on stage. <laughs> Jesus. So, so the town hall just off Times Square. And then I ended me at three in the morning, little bit, let's say, you know, jolly about the whole thing walking into Times Square and I spinning around Times Square going if you can make it here at the end really enjoying <laughs> that it was like, your moment why not? Oh, why not totally yeah. and then the they lights went down and the curtain came down and then they shut the thing down they, it was like Broadway has seen everything it needs to see Dara Breen's on a show that shut the <laughs> shut city down, down. nothing else can happen shut it here. down O'Brien's been to town so the, the new show is so where were we it's literally picking up from where you left off then isn't it I mean, an, ele- an element I, I told you that we're all going to be picking up where we left off uh, the, uh, obviously Cork has not made the mistake the INEC in Killarney ran it in the listings as so where are we <laughs> which is a very different sentence <laughs> entirely where were we is what it should be yeah. <laughs> we should be where were we in the, uh, like, as, if, as if I'm going well, where am I now oh, I'm in Killarney all right. no doubt you'd have a yeah. gag or two about that when you hit Killarney uh, yeah I'll remind, I'll remind them of when I get there but the uh, so uh, it is a case of like so what's up oh look are we back to normal what are we doing and like and it felt like that in Dublin. I've done it in Dublin. It went great. It did, I, honestly, I lo- I'm loving the show. But it, we did it in Dublin. And then it was like, right, good night, everybody. That's the end. Let's get out and enjoy ourselves. And you look at you're watching, a, okay, 15 minutes, and then it's quarter to midnight. Shut it down. Uh, and so... God, if you think that, that if you again. think midnight is bad, I'm hearing bad things about December with regards to the pubs. Oh, look, oh my yeah, God, I know, I know. Please, God, by January, please, God, by January, we'll you know, oh, please, God, you won't get this. Please, God, it'll tail off, and you know, things will be okay. And so sad, yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah. And let's leave yeah, it on that positive yeah. note. So, the Opera House, January twentieth, twenty first, twenty second. We can't wait to get you back on Lee side. It'll be great to have you back in town. I can't wait to be back. Darren, thanks so again. much for being patient with me. Take the time. Appreciate it, pal. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Good luck to everyone in Cork. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. You betcha. And earlier this morning I was talking with Jen, Jennifer from Sparkle, and you have your own opportunity to get your own bit of sparkle or jewellery or bling. These three songs, don't call just yet, I'm just playing them again, just so you can pick up in case you might have missed one of them. Every day this week, a 200 euro voucher, well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, a 200 euro voucher from Michelle Jewellers. And then on Friday, a thousand euro voucher to give away. So that's two grand in total. So we're bringing home the bling this week with Michelle Jewellers family run business, 60 years on Patrick Street. Check them out this Christmas time for your own bit of bling or your own sparkle. But these three songs, don't call just yet. Artists and titles. We need the artists and the titles of the song, ideally in the right order. Have a close listen. All those songs in the right order, okay, should present very little problem to you. And I'll open the phone lines on that in about seven or eight minutes' time. And all I want for Christmas from you guys is your special Christmas traditions. Maybe they've been handed down from generation to generation. Keep them coming. My family just normally fall out every year. (laughs) 
It's becoming a family tradition now, says Keith. Oh, my God, there are 500 euro vouchers every day this week for the furniture to Brackpool. <laughs> it's like the... Maybe either fight or fall asleep on Christmas Day. Ours was that the turkey was put in the oven on Christmas Eve. And my brother had to have the first slice when the turkey was done. Well, one Christmas we thought the turkey was a bit off. But we didn't get the chance to tell our brother. Because he'd already had the first slice gone. I don't know, did he get food poisoning from it? Anybody ever kind of... I remember a story once somebody set the timer in the morning. And for the Christmas turkey in the oven to come on. And they went away for the day and opened the door later that afternoon expecting to have the wafts of a freshly roasted turkey in the oven sniffing the air in the hallway saying something's not right it's a 24 hour timer set for the middle of the night instead of the middle of the morning I think they're the Christmas Day turkey a little late that day if I remember correctly anyway we have a Christmas tradition where I get I won't say what he says but he says we have a Christmas tradition where I get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning on Christmas Day and ruin the Christmas for everyone. Or so I've been told, says Damien. Make a difference this year, Damien. Stay sober. Deborah says, My mum, Sheila O'Callaghan, completes the 12 supermarkets at Christmas in preparation for Christmas dinner. Instead of doing the 12 pubs, it's a month-long search for the, for the best vegetables fruit, meat, wine, etc. We love it, though, as it's all part of Christmas. I'd love to talk to your ma'am, Sheila O'Gallan, about the 12 supermarkets at Christmas time. I mean, she must just go to all of the different supermarkets to get the best deal on everything. Staying fit as well, actually. I wonder if she got a Fitbit. Uh, we have the head, just the head, off an old Ken Barbie doll that gets placed somewhere on the Christmas tree every year. <laughs> Says Marta. It's an added Christmas decoration. I wonder what Ken feels about it. Or Barbie, for that matter. Yeah, we all sit down for Christmas dinner and let the arguments begin, says Sinead. The arguments should not take place... On, and now I'll talk about this closer to Christmas. But the arguments should only take place around the board games that you play. Not at the Christmas dinner. Save the rows for the board games. Our tradition is usually getting drunk before the turkey is cooked and every year the dinner is absolutely divine <laughs> or so they tell me. It's like anything after a few babies it tastes great I suppose. Whenever my brother and sister and I are in a different country we go looking for a new voodoo doll for my mum and every year the voodoo doll collection goes on the Christmas tree. Voodoo doll Linda. Aren't you supposed to curse people with them things? Aren't you supposed to stick pins in the eyes of those things? I wonder if that works. Is anybody out there who you'd love to get a voodoo doll for and stick a pin in? Christmas morning was magical. Our presents were always at the end of the bed. The excitement was unreal. We go into our mum and dad's bedroom to tell them, Santi has arrived! Santi has arrived! Then we'd all head downstairs to get ready for mass in our new clothes, says Catherine McCarthy Cummins. Well, I'm so delighted to know that we weren't the only people that did it just like that. You do it too. The beautiful smell of turkey cooking along with the distinctive smell of the real Christmas tree and the smoke from the fire before it lit properly. The table laid, drinking Fanta Orange, eating chocolate from selection boxes. That was for breakfast. Then the Raza, our own local cordial, was brought out as part of the big day. Someone always spilled some on the white sheet, the tablecloth. 
Mum, was it a white sheet from the bed or was it a tablecloth? Maybe it was the white sheet from the bed. Mum did it all. She served everyone and honestly, I have to say, honestly, I never remember sitting down herself. I feel guilty now, but after eating so much, you couldn't breathe afterwards. The stacks of plates and dishes in the kitchen would be up the walls. We had no dishwasher, so Mum would miss, would be missing for the entire afternoon cleaning up while we would be lounging around playing with toys and watching TV. They were such happy days. <laughs> happy days, all right. What about your poor old man? The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Ah, it's been an extraordinary morning. It's uh, the first time in a long, long time that I can remember where I did an entire program with no live telephones. I mean, it's extraordinary, but yet we managed to get through it. And thanks to uh, Seamus and indeed to Emer for helping me out there. The conversation I had with Daryl O'Brien and the conversation I had with Jennifer from Sparkle were both pre-records that I did over the weekend. So that's an amazing thing, an entire three hours without a phone. I'm going to try and open the phone lines now and just see what happens. It may not get you on the air, but we'll see what happens nonetheless, because we have 200 euro vouchers every day this weekend for this week for Michelle, the jewellers. Up until Thursday, that is, because on Friday, I give you a one thousand euro voucher. You can go in and see Tim Keane and all of the gang of Michelle and get whatever you want. We had great fun with this a couple of weeks ago and I invited them back again. So we want you to bring home the bling. Lines are open. one 850 You may not get on air, but we'll certainly pick a winner off air. So these three songs, please, in the correct order, they're very straightforward I believe, but they're all bling related. It's about fastest finger, if you like. Call a nine and one 850 Artists and titles. <laughs> Alright, get dialing one 850 Michelle the Jewellers, 60 years in business in Cork. Check them out this Christmas time online and call in. They look after you. They really and truly will. So get dialing on that. We'll take caller 9. 200 euro voucher on one 850 And another superb Cork business who've been there uh, over 40 years now um, and a lot of beautiful furniture and soft furnishings at the Furniture Centre in Blackpool. Family run uh, over 40 years. Check them out online, thefurnitorecentre.ie with a 500 euro a voucher every day this week and I'm asking you we'll be visiting this story right across the week Christmas traditions and there's loads of them coming in now they're coming into Facebook they're coming into WhatsApp and they're coming in by text and by phone but we have a 500 euro voucher every single day this week we're kind of a bit up in the air this morning because of problems with the phone lines so I see a lot of things coming in and, and I'm not quite sure who is who and where you're coming from. So when we get it all sorted later this afternoon, we'll have a good runner to tomorrow with regards to phone lines and what have you. Uh, but a different kind of Christmas tradition for you was one I read earlier on from Marie Walsh. She said that every December in our house, Mammy would get Sky Sports switched on for Dad. And I thought that was just a lovely thing to do. He wanted for the Christmas World Darts Tournament, apparently. And that was his Christmas present from Mam. To this day, she says she watches darts religiously. Dad passed away in 2004. Thanks for the memory. We have a 500 euro voucher for you, courtesy of ourselves in the Furniture Centre in Blackpool. There are other beautiful ones coming in, and I read out some of them, but I don't have names and phone numbers. So don't worry if it was read out this morning. You're still in with the chance tomorrow. When phone lines are rectified, we'll revisit. Now, fingers crossed that this might work. I can't say that it will with any amount of certainty. Monica! Hello, Neil. Oh, my God. It's great to speak to somebody live in person. <laughs> but let's, let's just chat. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. It's great. I'm it's great. I haven't talked to a human being since nine o'clock this morning in person. <laughs> 
Anyway, listen, never mind me, right? We've got these three songs here. Give them to me in the right order as soon as you hear them being played. Are you ready to play? I am, yeah. A 200 euro voucher from Michelle Jewellers. Let's see if you know them. Three songs back to back. Here they are. Lucy in the Sky. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds to Beatles. On the fields of Single lady's fiance. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you like it, then you should. <laughs> Want to sing with me? No, I can't sing. Oh, well, damn that anyway. Still a 200 euro voucher in it for you, though, from Michelle Jewellers. Enjoy. Spend it on yourself now, okay? I am. <laughs> Thanks very much, Neil. Look, Happy Christmas. Don't go away. Stay talking to me, will I you? Won't. Don't leave okay. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck, good luck, good luck, good luck. Thank you, Cheers, Neil. Cheers, girl. Take care. Michelle, the jeweler, 60 years of business in Cork. Check him out this Christmas time. We'll do this and an awful lot more besides. Nine o'clock in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.